Hear ye, hear ye. <laughs> Episode 212, what? don't ask me. Episode 212 of Mitch Unfiltered is underway. 212. Now, you don't need help with 212. Ooh. Please tell me you don't need area code help with 212. What the hell is ye talking about over there? I don't there? know what ye. <laughs> I don't even know who ye. Oh, I know ye. Oh, yeah. yeah. We, we've had it a tough go. The Jews have had a tough, <laughs> we've had a tough stretch with him. Wow. And with Kyrie Irving. Oh, yeah. And now the signs at the Gator Bowl on Saturday. Did you see that? Yeah, I saw signs over a uh, overpass, too. Overpass. Kanye's right. Oh, it's been a rough go for us. <laughs> I'm not sure how <laughs> I can even do episode 212. <laughs> out of nowhere? Okay. You know, you know, you know 212, right? Yes. Okay. Everybody knows 212. I would assume so, yes. I would That's, think so. I mean, every talk show I used to yeah. watch at the end was... Call now for transcripts. There you go. 212. Yeah. 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 New York, New York. Yes. New York. Yes. Um, Help me out as we begin episode 212. I guess I've whiffed again pop culture wise. Okay. This guy, John Hamm. Yes. Two questions. Is he on every TV show, every commercial, and in every movie? A. And who is he? Where did he come from? Did I miss a memo about him? He's like, like I, I can't turn anything on. A football game, a TV show, a preview to a movie. What about Mercedes-Benz? Commercials. It does it. Every single time I turn something on, yeah. some form of media, the internet, every time I turn it on, John Hamm is looking at me. Who is this guy? Before I break down the ins and outs of John Hamm yes, for please you, do. Yes. Um, can you just answer me a question yes, first? yes. Are the Seahawks winning the NFC West? That's what I really want to know. Wait a second. I ask the non-sports question, and you ask the sports. Isn't it supposed to be the other way around? It is opposite day, yes. No, you go first with John Hamm, and then I'll go second with the question. Do I have to answer the question honestly? In this episode where it comes after just another Seahawks win, and this unexpected season continues to gain momentum Uh and gain steam, do I have to answer the question honestly? The way everybody would like me to answer the question. Is this Mitch filtered or is this Mitch unfiltered? <laughs> you go with John Ham first. So you get John Hamm. Uh, first, I guess I should say Mitch unfiltered is available on all major podcast platforms. Rate and review us on the Apple podcast page, please. It really helps with booking guests. Become a Mitch unfiltered patron for $5 a month and have access to all the bonus shows. If the $5 is problematic, email me. I get emails from listeners, and I also get emails a lot, we'll come back to this, from people that pitch guest ideas. Oh, you do? Yeah, and I've never read any of those because they're- Well, how do you know that you get them? What? How do you know you get them if you've never read them? No, I've never read to you on the show. (laughs) I've never brought one in because they're boring and there's nothing to read. Okay. I brought one into the show, episode 212. But first- Yes. I have a question for you. You have a question for me. Uh Uh-huh. John Hamm. Did he pop in a, was there a big movie that I missed or a big TV sensation? Okay, tell me. You missed please. an enormous show that I've told you to watch. Okay. I, I really think Who you is would John like Hamm? It. Yes. He was on one of the top, at least top 25 greatest shows of all time. That's not my opinion. It's, really? It's every list. And Dallas? Yes, it was Dallas. Dynasty? He was 11 years old. If you remember him, he was fantastic on it. What show? Mad Men. Oh. He's the star of Mad Men. I've never seen Mad Is that the ad agency yes. show from like the 1950s or something? Yeah, like it's early pe- 60s, I don't I do think. period pieces. <laughs> <laughs> I think you would dig this one, though. 
Because it's just... I've never seen... Everybody watched Mad... It's over now, right? It's been over for a long time. Oh, okay. But like, if you look at the top 10 greatest shows of all time, it's probably going to be on there. And I would watch an episode, and I couldn't really understand why, but it was the greatest episode of TV I've ever seen. I can't explain it. It was just like... It was so good, but then I can't explain to you why I loved it so much. It was just this incredible show. And he was the star. He was oh, the, yeah, he yeah. was the marquee, the guy. Yes, oh. he was the guy. Yeah, and so and I that, that said, and nobody knew of him before that show. I don't. I don't think so. No. Is he allowed to say no to offers? No, he's not. As a matter of fact, well, I don't think he's like really. He's had in a- the progressive <laughs> commercial now with the with flow. He's. I'm jealous of the Mercedes Benz spots. I want to do that for a living. What Mercedes doesn't this buttons. guy do? I know, it's great. Oh. I thought that actors were supposed to be above commercials. I thought commercials were for guys like us. And then the actors, they do... Well, you, you don't do commercials. I thought sports radio was for guys like us, too. Not <laughs> linebackers that played in the 80s. I mean, <laughs> come on. We, by the way... Wait a second. Did you just take a shot at a linebacker? Well, I mean, <laughs> how can we compete with people that played in the NFL? But okay. John Hamm, one of the uh, more prodigious weenuses as well. I'm, I'll have you know. Oh, enormous. How do you know that? Well, there's, there's a few pictures floating really? around the, the internet. I didn't know I was get going there prodigious. when I asked this. He's got it going on down there. His penis is on the internet yeah. too. Well, he he had like these super tight pants on once. Yeah, and clearly he was going commando, and he's doing okay. Not as well as the guy you sent me. Who did I send you? Jonah Falcon. See, I don't know who that is. But oh, said- I sent you the New York Post article. <laughs> okay, not yeah. that. But wait a second, John Hamm yeah. is, is posting pictures of himself no, not wearing underwear. I don't think no, no. I don't think he posted it. It's like him in some pants, like some sweats or something, just walking down the street. Someone took his picture. But you can see everything. You can see it all. Yeah. Don't so, you think he's on way too much? He's rich. He's handsome. Yeah. Funny. He's super hireable. Yeah, he's been on SNL. He's funny. Oh. And he's got that. So now I hate him. Yeah, he's everywhere. He is. It's amazing. It's crazy. I know. Yeah, I think he's on pregame shows, too. Like Fox's NFL pregame show. I may be wrong about that. <laughs> he might be wrong Maybe about that. that up. Yeah, he pops like, up in movies once in a while, he's too. He's doing interviews. He's on every nightly talk show. Uh, that I mean... Everyone loves him. I, I know. I don't, and I don't have any idea who the guy is. Mad Men's great, by the way. It's a great, great okay. show. Okay. You, you should maybe you've, try you've the first You've done episode. well with your pop culture. Thank, Thank you. you very I much. I now know everything I need to know and a little bit too much. <laughs> a lot too much. <laughs> about John. We could have stopped short of the wiener. <laughs> Why would we? It's me. For it's God's filtered. Sake. That's this right. is supposed to be Mitch filtered. This is John Hamm filtered. I didn't need to know about his oh, wiener. Oh, you're going to see it in the Now, every year. time I ask you about somebody from pop culture references, yeah. you're going to give me the size of the wiener. Uh, four and a half. I don't know. <laughs> give me someone. All right, your you. question is what? Um, my question is, are the Seahawks going? Sorry, I'm distracted. You got to see this. What? The image is loading. I was going to show you. It was- I don't want to see. Oh, you don't. Okay. No. Are the Seahawks going to win the NFC West? Is that what they're? You're coming right out of the gate with it, huh? I mean, I was I I was prepared to root for a high draft pick. That was my goal this year. Well, you can still do that. That's the glory of the year. They own the Denver Broncos' first round draft choice. True. So you can root for them to win. Yeah. And somehow win the NFC West or go to the playoffs. And you can root for number three, who went over to England, unfortunately, and led a late game drive to beat the Jacksonville Jaguars, which was a little, which got my Sunday off to kind of a, a bitter, a bitter beginning. Yeah. Bitter jump. Did you follow the stuff about him doing like high knees? Yeah. They're making fun of him now. Justin Tucker. Do you know Justin Tucker? Yeah. The kicker. kicker. He's now, there's video of him coming home from Thursday night's game, taking shots. Everybody's taking shots. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
The Seahawks. Is it fool's gold? Are you asking me whether <laughs> if I was going to bet it even money, yes or no, would I bet yes? Are you asking me a separate question, which would be if you were going to pick any team in the NFC West, would you pick the Seahawks? I'm asking you to define, to get a little bit more specific on the question. You know what I mean? I don't think that they're 51% or okay. more. Or I don't think, because there's three other teams in the division, right. two of which I still think, even though the Rams sucked on Sunday, yeah. I think it's still possibly win the division. I'll put it this way. You can have any team in the NFC West you want. Yeah. If you pick the if winner, my life you get, was on the line. Yeah, you get $1 billion. Am I going to lose Mitch Unfiltered listeners if I answer this honestly? Well, what would it be any different from any other week? Well, this is the first week we've talked about John Hamm's penis. <laughs> You've already lost some, I guarantee you, from that. I do not think they're going to win the NFC. Really? No. But doesn't the rest of the, the division, doesn't it feel kind of weak, though? I mean, there's no... I think I think when push comes to shove, I watched him on Sunday at the same time as the Seahawks were playing. I got the TVs going. I watched the 49ers uh -huh. just rip the Rams a new one yeah. in Los Angeles in the second half. I watched that team. McCaffrey's on that team now. Yeah. He's scoring touchdowns. He's passing for touchdowns. Oh, boy. I know Jimmy G's not very good, though, but their defense is really good. Without being able to predict injuries, I think injuries will go a long way in deciding. Of course, if yeah. you said to me, okay, injuries aside, yep. you had to put your money on one or the other, I would say I think the 49ers are going to win hmm. the NFC West. Even though the Seahawks have a game lead right now, yeah. even though they play them one more time and it's here, yeah. I just look at the 49ers and I look at their schedule I get into the kind of the minutia of, all right, what's to come? What's going on? Yeah. I can give you like one really big thing about the Niners versus Seahawks comparison and schedule. Okay. The Niners have already played the Chiefs. The Seahawks have to play the Chiefs and go to Kansas City. Okay. That's not insignificant. Okay. The, the Chiefs game is out of the way for San Francisco. They lost it, yeah. but it's out of the way. They don't have to play them. You look at the schedules, the remaining schedules. I would put my money on the 49ers to win the division. Now, may I ask you to ask me a second question so I don't get in too much shit with unfiltered <laughs> listeners? Yes, please. Ask me if I think that they're going to make the, the playoffs. Well, do you think the Seahawks are going to make yes, the playoffs? Yes, You do, really? I do. Oh, yeah, I do. Okay. I do. I, I, I look at the NFC. Remember, three wildcard teams. Yeah. I think right now, one of the wildcard teams... Well, I think right now two of the wild card teams are Dallas and the Giants, and we'll get to Mr. Playoffs in segment number one. Okay. And I think the third wild card team is like a four and four team. Oh, okay. So I don't think it's going to take more than nine and eight. Certainly, yeah. it, you might be able to get in an eight nine. I think nine and eight will get you in. They've already got five wins. They're okay. five. And hey, how's the over under yeah. looking on five wins? I was thinking that on how, the way how, to your house. <laughs> Somebody out there took it. That over. I mean, come on. It's yes. easy money. Yes. I would say I would spit out 76% that the Seahawks mm. make the playoffs. Okay. Which, think about that. Yeah, I know. It's it's incredible what's there happening. There was zero chance when this season started. Everyone would yep. have said. 
Yep. And now we're saying there's a 76% chance. Now, I don't know what the computers will say. I'm just giving you just enough. I think they'll make the playoffs. I think they'll be a wild card. I think the 49ers will win the NFC West. I mean, they went on the road. They beat a 4-2 and two team, right? San Diego, I think, was 4. Los but Angeles they, now, yeah. Oh, yeah. but They don't play in San Diego that, anymore. <laughs> that, that team, too. But then they beat a 6-1 and one team, too. It's like, okay, I know you're at home, but what, the Giants are a bad 6-1 and one team, you're going to tell me? I don't know. I, uh, I just I, see 6-1. Bad 6-1. One and, and one. My point is they're not beating one and six or two and five. You know, they're beating a couple. You know what's nice teams. is we're doing the whole first segment in the tease portion so that we have nothing to do oh. in segment number one. Well, I got you. a I got a funny tweet I gotta read for you later. Did you lose a wallet? I'm so distracted right now by that. <laughs> I, I was sort of getting out of it talking to you. Now I'm gonna check my okay. phone. Hold on. Let's call a timeout and get oh, back to the tease. You know God. what we do in the tease? Yeah. We tell everybody what's gonna be on the show. We read an email. I, I even have this this pitch, this guest pitch. I want you to know if I should call this person to be on. Okay. Hi, Mitch. A casket built by the Bellevue Washington Company Titan Casket was featured in Taylor Swift's funeral-themed anti-hero music video released on Friday. Bellevue's Josh Siegel, the co-founder of Titan, can talk to Mitch Unfiltered about Swift's use of his casket. We got contacted from a production company. This is this is a quote from Bellevue's Josh Siegel. We got contacted from a production company who told us they needed a casket and to sign a release. Months go by and we wake up Friday and Taylor had released this album. An employee who's a big fan watched the video and saw what appeared to be our product. We are delighted. Should we have the co-founder of Titan Caskets? Would you like me to talk caskets on Mitch Unfiltered? Oh. I would literally rather talk about John Ham's penis. <laughs> well, today's your lucky day. <laughs> I mean, I think that's probably a great company, a nice guy. What are you going to talk about? You don't even know who Taylor Swift is to begin with. Like, it I even, know who Taylor Swift is. It doesn't even is. impress you, really, because you don't really understand the magnitude of how popular she is. Am I the only guy that would find that a very uncomfortable? I, I don't even want to think about caskets. Yeah, you are kind of weird that way. You don't like that. I am? Well, you think about like your the morta- your mortality oh, every and- day. <laughs> I am That's because of Artie Jerkowitz. <laughs> I've told you the story. I've never told you the story. I of Artie think so. Is that you your know, dad's Artie friend? Jer- my dad's, my mom and dad's best friends, yeah, yeah. Artie and Bell Jerkowitz. Okay, from Miami, Florida. <laughs> Jerkowitz. Yeah, it's like something you'd call your friend in high school. When Artie, you get mad and Be- at him. Artie. No, he's that's his name. Artie <laughs> and Bell Jerkowitz from Scranton, Pennsylvania. Yeah, went to high school with my father. Okay best friends forever and ever and ever until my dad's passing. Literally, this is going back 30 years. This is going back as long as I can remember as a kid. Okay. Like when I was a kid and my dad, I don't know, I don't, my dad was 50, mm-hmm. 55. Artie, would, he would lived in Miami. We lived two hours from him. We'd see him every once in a while. And every time there was a birthday, Artie would say something like, top of the sixth. Oh, no. <laughs> really? <laughs> Happy birthday, Bobby. Oh, Bottom of the seventh. Oh, no. He was literally counting the innings oh. until we're finished. Any extra innings? Artie Jerkowitz did this to me. <laughs> Can I have that Mariner playoff and so game? so now Artie Jerkowitz, who was born in 1933, yeah. next year is going to be 90 years old. He's in the 12th. But, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's that, that Mariner playoff game that we just watched. <laughs> Holy crap, he's still alive, Artie. Oh, he's still alive. That's amazing. And, and pretty well, yeah. Nice. Pretty well. Okay. But just so that's where it comes from. Oh, then, yeah, the Artie Jerkowitz. You don't want to hear like bottom of the ninth. That's he, no good. I used to think it was kind of funny when he said it to my dad. Now he's saying it to me. <laughs> right? It's funny when you're 12. I mean, God. 
You're never going to be older than like 25. Oh. There I was, 12, with my whole life ahead of me. Yeah, Here yeah. I am now, 55, talking about John Hamm's penis <laughs> on a podcast. What the hell happened? <laughs> Your guidance counselor was right. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. All right. No, I don't think they wouldn't have too much. <laughs> I mean... Okay, we can talk about it in segment one. Beat the boys. Weekend number nine is on the way. Wait, how did that work last week? You sent out a password. There was a password, right? There was a password. I, I emailed it to every participant. I emailed it twice. I used social media. Okay. Yeah, I, I answered. It. I did the very best I could. Okay. <laughs> All I, right, fine. There's still a lot of people saying, oh, I didn't get the best. I know. You know. Hey, look at your email. Go to your junk. Yeah. Go to your folder. Call John Ham. He knows. Somebody messaged me. Hey, I saw an email, but I don't know the password. I, was like, I, I sent it to him. I, yeah, I, I got you, buddy. Beat the Boys weekend number nine is on the way. Thank you, Fireside Home Solutions, John Waterstrap. By the way, winter, pretty much here. Oh, yeah. Anybody need a, a new fireplace? Fireside Home Solutions. They did our outdoor unit. It's amazing. Um, here we go with Mitch Unfiltered's Beat the Boys weekend number nine. Okay. Games, not that they matter. Vikings at Commanders, Chargers at Falcons, Rams at Bucks. Vikings at Commanders, Chargers at Falcons, Rams at Bucks. Okay. I guess Tom Brady will be playing his first game as a single. Yeah, we'll talk about that and other uh, stuff. Yeah. Password unfiltered. Okay. All lowercase. I could change it to John Ham's penis. <laughs> That's too long. People will forget. But I think I'll just stay with unfiltered. I mean, he, he's giving Uncle Milty a run. He really is. I saw Uncle Milty. Did I ever tell you? I read yeah, he, he told me. Yeah, he had was one of the multiple of women on it, right? Oh, he yeah, was. Yeah. He must have been 106. And his hair was jet black. No, he had a hat. He had a cap on. Oh, he did. On, oh. and an overcoat and two women, one on one arm, one on the other. Look at him. And I think he, I think he was in his hundreds. I think. <laughs> he was in the top of the 22nd. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Seahawks no table. Brady and Joe break it down. They're five and three. It's just unbelievable. The story gets better and better. Rick Neuheisel, CBS College football analyst, Bradley Jackson. He's the director of a film. I'll tell you the story. I play cards from time to time, you know, poker at one of these poker places. Sure. So I go over there and I play this Texas Hold'em and I listen to the conversation. It always ends up in sports. I don't participate. I just kind of listen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some guy says to another guy at our table a few weeks ago, he says, have you seen the Nolan Ryan documentary? Oh, yeah. Do you know about that? I've seen it. Oh. It's fantastic. It is really so good. So good. It's amazing how good it is. So I had no idea. And they, these two guys are talking about it. The guy says, no, what is it? He says, it's called Facing Nolan. It's on Netflix. I was yeah. like, and I'm sitting there. I don't want to say anything, but I'm like, how do I not know this? Yeah. How do I not know that there's a documentary out about Nolan Ryan? I can't believe I didn't bring it up on this show. Are you I don't sure think I didn't? I don't think you have. Because a listener tipped me off to it on Twitter. Really? And they were spot on. I loved every second of it. I came home, maybe not the next day, a day or two later, yeah. and I sat and I watched it. It was excellent. So good. I know. It was excellent. And I was like, <laughs> I got to get the director on. So the director's on. Bradley Jackson, nice. the director. It got 98% Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, I don't yes. know what that means. Well, it means that ninety-eight percent of the the reviews for it were positive. What is a hundred? What is a hundred audience score? It says ninety-eight percent. Yeah, tomatoes, one hundred audience. I, I think, don't know the difference between the two. Well, I think on their site you can leave a review. Just oh, I see. anyone can leave a review. So yeah. everyone in the audience, there wasn't one bad review, and there was. By the way, who was the the, the dickhead who gave the bad review? Because clearly there was a couple, ninety-eight percent, right? So someone didn't like that documentary. 
I ask the same question about people who leave reviews for Mitch Unfiltered. <laughs> well, that I the, get a little who's more. Who's the dickhead <laughs> who gave us a four and three quarter? By the way, this is kind of a spoiler, and I hate to do it to people, but... Oh, no, not about facing Nolan. Okay. Okay, go ahead. Well, it was, it was pretty amazing that... It's great. That they, they, I loved it. They were asking all these major leaguers how many Cy yes. Youngs he won. Yes. And I, I, if you would have asked me out of the blue, I yes. would have said... Two and a half. Three. And what would I have said if you asked me out of the blue? I don't know. Zero. You knew that. Oh, of course. Really? Any sports fan knows. Even John Hamm. But he, he played forever. Not once. Never. He was Never. playing like before I was born. Never. He, I remember watching him in the kingdom. Like Never won a Cy Young. It's amazing how hard he threw, too. I, you know, they said he was clocked at like 106 one time. I mean, he just... Well... It's a freak of nature, man. People say that when he was getting clocked, the radar guns weren't sophisticated enough to really catch it. Okay. And that he really threw 110. That's what. That's the legend. I mean, if you if you put a radar gun of today on Nolan Ryan back then, they yeah. say, Anyway, I loved it. It was so good. I don't know. Maybe people are won't love it. I, I can't imagine if you're like over the age of like six. <laughs> right. <laughs> Anyway, Bradley Jackson directed the film Facing Nolan. He's from Austin, Texas. He's Great. got a pretty good story himself. And we have the director of Facing Nolan. And if you haven't seen it, go on to, I think it's Netflix. I think it's Netflix, yeah. It's one of the streaming services. So good. And, and watch Facing Nolan. Those are our guests on episode 212. Hot shot, we don't begin episode 212 without a few words from our partners like the Kirkland office of Cross Country Mortgage and Jordan Flowers. It's not enough that J-Flow personally handles any mortgage needs of unfiltered listeners, but he gave out dozens of Mariners tickets to all of us during the stretch run. Amazing. So when the time is right for you, at least give Jordan's team a shot, an opportunity, least we could do. 425-890-2957. Evergreen Golf Call, tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning taxes and investments under one roof. Evergreengk.com, more than just a financial advisor. Evergreen is everything wealth. Zeke's Pizza with new locations popping up all over the place, including Boise, Idaho, believe it or not. Fun football viewing Pre- and post-game Kraken celebrations at the Belltown location. Download the Zeke's Pizza app today. Homegrown in the Northwest. Daniel's Broiler, locally owned by the Schwartz family. Pillars of this Northwest for all these years. Four great locations. Les Shy, downtown at the Hyatt. South Lake Union and atop the world at Bellevue Place. Simply no better place to celebrate special occasions than Daniel's Broiler world-class steakhouses, and Fireside Home Solutions. Up to $300 off gas fireplace inserts right now at Fireside. Can't be a better time to get winter rolling at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. And thanks to Fireside, beat the boys. We're up to weekend number nine with the password unfiltered, all lowercase. Episode 212 begins right now unfiltered he just looks like and i don't know whether it's the the kalen DeBoer, michael Penix thing whether it's the you know the two-headed monster offensive passing game thing there's something about that guy he just looks like a great college passer unfiltered the over under on the seahawks was five it was five there's no such thing as an easy bet in vegas or wherever you might be jersey or new york the over under is five and i'm going to tell you something 
None of us saw what is here coming, but all of us knew they were going to win more than five games. Mitch is unfiltered. Episode 212, Mitch Unfiltered, is now officially underway. I'd like to apologize to everyone who was offended by the tease segment when I asked shot about John Hamm. <laughs> you and he went straight to the family jewels. Well, not straight. I mean, I did give you Mad Men, a couple things. You did and really then, well uh, until the... Uh, I eventually went in on yeah, that. You know, God. Quick stump the band for you. How about that? Look at me coming. And you know the he's voice. loving the fact that guys like you are on podcasts telling yeah. people like me, well... Who wouldn't love it? Would you say ginormous wiener, wieneris or something? <laughs> it's, it's a pr- prodigious weenus. <laughs> but by the way, I, I just looked, and there's more yeah. than one picture. I was wrong. There's, oh my so, god! I thought you were going to say there's more than one. Oh, so <laughs> clearly, How many does he have? Clearly, he he does walk around often. He's showing it off. Totally showboating. He is. Yeah, he is. Trust me, as a guy with a big schnoz. <laughs> yeah, you're showboating all the time, aren't you? All right, quick stump the band for you. Yes. I, you'll probably get it because you're yes. pretty nerdy that I way. Love, no. Is Wait, it sports or not? Of course sports? it's sports. Oh, you're, what do you mean, of course? That's all you I do is sports, sports talk. Stump the band. Okay. Okay. Just go find a wallet. The f- <laughs> I'm so pissed off about that wallet. Whose wallet? Yours? Somebody in our household lost their wallet. Ooh, that is just a pain in the ass. What's in it? Everything. ID. Of course. Debit card, credit card, target card, driver, driver's license is the biggest pain in the ass. Everything else you can just cancel, you know, it's a pain. But you're really going to go to the DMV early? Who wants to go to the DMV? That's not the biggest pain. Oh, it's up there. You, no, you skipped over the credit card. By having to cancel the credit card, all of these different accounts that have your credit yeah, card that you auto pay. Yeah. Oh, my That's God. That's true, yeah. I don't even know that I could remember half of them. I wouldn't well, even, I mean. Right, until, you, and then until your delinqu- power goes off. <laughs> you're delinquent. <laughs> right, you don't even know. Yeah, oh, that, that is <laughs> brutal. I, uh, I feel so badly for All right, go to Subterman. Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, the first player yeah. ever to be ejected from a Super Bowl. The first player ever to be ejected from a Super Bowl. Oh, God. What, what? It was in the last 10 years. Why are we talking about that Well, because he plays on your Seattle Seahawks. Is that true? It is true. When I read it, I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. A player that was ejected from a Super Bowl. He was the first player, and I don't know if there's been one since. I just know he was the first player to I'm trying to think who would be on the team that would have played in a Super Bowl. <laughs> right. All right, Wagner's gone. Oh, everybody's gone. Well, there's one who kind of came, came back. I think it's his third stint. Bruce Irvin. You are correct, he sir. He was thrown out after the whole... Yeah. The New England. Remember, they were yeah. just kind of being bad sports. Yeah, and we, we were bad sports. Bad, totally bad sports. You bad knew you sport. lost, and you're just. Not bad. as bad sports as the Michigan State football players from Saturday who surrounded a guy and beat the shit out of him. Oh, did they? Oh, yeah. I, I watched a lot of that game, and I thought Michigan State was going to hang, but they ended up not yeah. being able to hang. But I, what happened? I didn't see that. Bruce Irvin is the answer to the trivia Yeah, question. there you go. How about that? First player ever to be, I didn't know that, ever to be ejected from a Super Bowl. Probably the only player to be ever ejected. Has anybody since been ejected? Since 2014, I can't imagine so. No. Can we can we do away with the shingles ads on the on the football games? 
The shingles ads? The shingles ads? Wait, for like the disease? For or the vaccine? Oh. I know I got to get my vaccine. I don't need to be reminded I'm over 50. Yeah, shingles is I no don't, joke. I don't need to be reminded. I know I put it off. My yeah. doctor's told me he wants me to do it. Oh, really? I think I'm doing it next month. But I just, I, I just, every time I see the commercial in the middle of the Seahawks game, I don't really want to see it in the Seahawks game. <laughs> it's. I get a little itchy. I start wondering if there's... I start oh, you'll know. Back. It's painful. What do you know? I know everything. I know shingles <laughs> is very painful. Next thing you need to tell me is John Ham at it. <laughs> I hope John Ham gets it. Now he Based has, on all the things you're telling me about John Ham, I hope he gets he it. Has tin, A bad case. Tin sighting. But I know I, I just <laughs> I know it's extreme or it can be extremely painful. Yeah. So it is something to think about as you you know go to the doctor and get updated on your vaccines. It probably Have is. Have you worth been vaccinated? You're no. not 50 yet, though. I'm not 50 yet. I'm a young man. Yeah. Yeah, shingles is no good. I thought that was one of those things we, like, don't people don't get anymore, but I guess it's coming This back. is another Artie Jerkowitz thing. These are the types of things you laughed at when you were a kid. Right, right. And now you snap your fingers and you're getting shots for shingles and seeing ads in football games. Yeah. Yeah, just as I'm enjoying, you know, a, a Tyler Lockett catch. Oh, yeah. Or a... Kenneth Walker run. Hey, the Seahawks are on their way to five and three. We'll be right back. Shingles. <laughs> Buzzkill. Have you gotten your vaccination? I, I, I yeah. Just, yeah, I know. But it is, it is like something you don't want. I know that. I know. It's not good. Okay, I know. Yeah. But I, I thought we I eradicated know. it. I mean, I guess if we have a vaccine, we sort of did. But like, what's next? Scurvy? Like, I just feel like there's this... It feels, Polio. Yeah, it feels old school, that, yeah. that shingles, but it's still out there floating Seahawks around. 27, Giants 13. Oh, yeah, that's right. Mm-mm-mm. You still like Gino? Are you on the Gino train? Oh, yeah. It's crazy, right? Yes. What's happening? Yes, the whole thing is changing. Yeah. The whole direction of the franchise <laughs> is changing. The whole next offseason and who you draft right. and where you get your next quarterback is changing. That's right. Yeah, this is like some throwaway, this lame is, duck rebuild no, year. This is unbelievable. Young guys on defense. So much fun. Yeah, it's a blast. I've been trying to convince everybody who listened to me that this type of season is actually more fun for fans, at least for this fan, than the seasons where they win 12 or 13. They're supposed mm. to be really good. Yeah. You expect them to win a bunch of games. They win a bunch of games. Okay, if they go to the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl – Obviously, that's that's the right. That's the top of the mountain. But I would contend. All right, if you take one of those many years where they were supposed to be good mm -hmm. and they won like eleven or twelve, won the division, maybe lost in the first couple of rounds of the playoffs, and you ask me, you ask me to compare my level of enjoyment of that season to a season where you expect them to be a shit sandwich, yep. and they're just nothing but better and better. They're coming out of the woodworks. It's unexpected. Yep. They're five and three. They're surprising the world. I, I think this is more fun than the yeah. others, except for the Super Bowl. I think this is more fun. I think you're right. Yeah, the I surprise do. factor. And oh. the fact that it's like young guys, like Kenneth totally. Walker. And the, the, who's the, the, the DB? Gino, the, he's 90 years old. I mean, he's in the top of the six. <laughs> At what point are we going to think he's good? Is anyone just ever going to give no, him credit? I think he's good. He is good. Okay. He's really good. Yeah. It's not just but a he's not young. No, he's not. What is no. he? He's probably 29. He's young in football terms because he hasn't played a lot. Low so he's, miles. He's yeah, he's got not, not a lot of tread on, not a lot of tread on the tires. Yeah. No, he has a lot of tread. He has on a lot of tread. Yeah, there you the go. Tire. That yeah. one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of tread Sorry, left. I messed that up. <laughs> it is fun though. <sighs> is it terrible that as I watch the game on Sunday, 
that every time Tyler Lockett makes an error, I have two thoughts. Okay. Not necessarily in this order. Number one is, as somebody who was around Tyler Lockett a lot when I was working at KJR, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that there's a more likable Seattle sports athlete in my 25 years in terms of his his likability, his humbleness, Mm -hmm. his down-to-earth demeanor. He strikes you as just a regular guy every time I was around him, every time I interviewed him, every time I saw him interviewed somewhere else. He just, at every turn, comes across super likable. So every time he makes an error, he had the most nightmarish game until he caught that touchdown. Yeah. I think of two things. A, how likable and how it actually hurts me. It doesn't hurt me when I watch Mariners or this hurts me to watch a guy like oh, yeah. struggle like that. He's such a good guy. Yeah. Hurts me. And the other thing is, I say to myself, is Hotshot coming over tonight? <laughs> because he <laughs> looked overrated. Stop it. No, I like Tyler Lockett, but there's times when he disappears. And I'm wondering. He didn't disappear on Sunday. He wanted to after that drop. <laughs> he did want to. But Pete, I listened to the Pete Carroll press conference on the yeah. way to your house. Yeah. Pete called him one of the greats to ever play the game. Well, that's Pete. <laughs> Okay, I'm willing. I'm willing. To, I'm willing to slow down, man. What a grace to ever. I, I mean, think you. He's I a think, hell of a player. By the way, I think that there's a pretty big space between what you think of him and what Pete thinks of him. <laughs> right. And I'm somewhere in between. Okay, fair enough. By the way, I think he's very, very good. I just said he. You were getting ready to hammer his ass on unfiltered. No, mm-hmm. or were you too preoccupied with the wallet? Yeah, a little. And ball. John Ham's penis. Yeah, well, all three for sure. Yeah. See if were you gonna? That. Were you gonna come in here if they had lost that game? And he fumbled that ball to set up a touchdown <sighs> at the two and dropped the ball that was right in his hands. Were you were you ready to come in here guns a-blazing or were you going to have a little mercy and say, you know, it's the obvious you had a nightmarish game. I'm not going to go on Mitch's podcast and be all, oh, he was terrible and whatever. How are you going to – and then he came through at the end, mm-hmm. the go-ahead score. How are you going to handle that? As you know, it's not my style to toot my own horn. <laughs> As you know, <laughs> um, so I was probably going to, you know, toot my own horn a little bit if or he yeah. would have had it. But I, you're like forcing me to root against him. Everyone's forcing me to root against the guy. I don't want to root against him. I'm a Seahawks well, fan. Well, you came on here and you were like, I just asked the question. No, is, no, no. Is he overrated? No, no, it was. No, it was more than that. No, it wasn't exactly what it was I asked. T- no, uh, you may have asked that question. Yes, I did. But on paper, that's what I asked. Yeah, but. But. You, yeah. Yeah. You 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 have you have hit more you've hit harder than that you've hit harder <laughs> on a, than on a that court transcript that's what I asked okay yes well it was not looking good on Sunday no it was not it was not looking good on Sunday no. and and by the way those weren't the only mistakes there were some other big mistakes on Sunday you had you had his nightmarish fumble on the two to set up the Giants couldn't get anything going right. offensively and they get a one yard TD easy yeah of course right he gives them that they had like fifty yards of offense and then it's tied. This guy, D. Eskridge, I don't know that anybody even is going to remember. <sighs> They're on the move. It's second in like seven or eight, I think, down in the red zone. They give the ball to Kenneth Walker, mm-hmm. and he either gets the first down or gets to within like a foot or two of the first down. It's going to be third. It's either going to be first down and 10 real close to the end zone, or it's going to be third in like inches. Okay. And D. Eskridge picks up a an illegal formation penalty that he was on the line or he wasn't on the line just a boneheaded stupid mistake that just can't happen 
at this stage of the game. Like, that, and so that sends them back five yards and they have to settle for a field goal instead of a touchdown. Yeah. Um, you had Kobe Bryant, who I think played a pretty good game, as did the, the yeah. corner. Most of the secondary played a good game. Mike but Jackson looked okay. He looked okay, yeah. 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 Made some plays. But Kobe Bryant on a big third down late in the game when the Giants are on the run. The Giants are trying to come down to tie. It's a third and long, and there's an open field opportunity for Kobe Bryant, and he just whiffs on a tackle, yep. and the guy gets the first down. The truth of the matter is, you know who the star of the game was. You know the star of the star of the star of the game. The single biggest reason that the Seattle Seahawks won that game. Travis Homer. No. Is that his name? Travis? You Homer. Yeah. yeah. You could have said Will Disley. Oh, Disley, yeah. Richie James was the star of all stars. Richie James. Yeah, not Richie Cunningham. Oh, I like him. Yeah, that, that I know. Richie James is the Giants punt returner oh, who right. fumbled not once, yeah. but twice. That's true, yeah. I'm not sure. <laughs> they probably win the game. I'm not sure they win the game without his help. I mean, did he fumble or was it kind of forced because good special teams? Homer's back playing special teams again. You know, there's a little bit of it. Yeah. All right. The second one was awful. If I'm a Giants special teams coach, the second one was almost inexcusable. Hmm. Homer made a nice play. Yeah, yeah. He hit him. You got to hold on to the ball. The first one, when Disley kind of body slammed him. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just kind of of the opinion when somebody doesn't strip you and they just hit you a good football play and the ball comes out. Yeah. That's kind of on you. It's kind of on carrier. you. If you're not gonna, if you're not getting stripped or the ball's not getting punched out, yeah, yeah, and you're yeah. just you're just dropping it as a result of contact. Yeah, you might be right. I don't know. Yeah, protect the ball. He was a, he was a big star for the Seahawks. Yeah, didn't on hurt. Sunday. So, just, oh, sorry. It just means that just weird stuff happen when the Giants come into Seattle. I know it happen that oh, often. Oh yeah, that's the Jay Feely. What has happened to Jay Feely? <laughs> yeah, that game. It just feels like weird stuff happens with the Giants. Yeah. So the Seahawks are five and three. They're third in the NFC. Would you like to know if the season ended today, which oh. it doesn't, and it's stupid to even talk about? Boy, would I. What would happen to the Seattle? They would win the NFC West. By the way, they went into Sunday with a half-game lead over the Rams atop the NFC West, and they came out of Sunday with a full-game lead in the NFC West. Nice. Now over the 49ers. They are, if the season ended today, they're the, they're the number three seed in the NFC. Okay. They play a home playoff game as the three seed. Imagine. And they would play the six seed. Would you like to take a guess as to who the six seed, who they would play oh, if God. the season ended today in the first round of the home playoffs? Da, da, no da, clue. Da. Come on. The Cardinals. The car Stop it. The New York Giants. Wow. <laughs> you want to play it over again? Wow. If I offered everybody right now, right now, yeah. I offered all of Seahawks nations. What do they call them? The 12s? If I offered everybody and Seahawks fans, everybody around the world, Seahawks yeah. fans around the world. We know that Seahawks fans are around the world. Oh, sure. Yeah. I offered you right now, home first round game, first weekend of the playoffs against the same Giants, the matchup that you saw on yeah. Sunday. Who wouldn't sign up for that? Right now. Where right sign? now. Of course, yes. You know, we saw Mariner. Is Daniel Jones going to beat the Seahawks? <laughs> Daniel the Jones? <laughs> we saw home. We saw the Mariners hosting playoff games. We never thought we... Are we going to see this crappy Seahawks team host a playoff game? I don't think so. Okay. Because I told you in the... Yeah, they're not going to win the division. I think they're going to be a wild card. Okay. And I think ultimately they'll be on the road in the first round of the playoffs. Hope I'm wrong. But as of today... 
where do I sign for a rematch oh. of that game on Sunday? Because I, I, I mean, granted, they were six and one. The Giants were six yeah. and one. Yeah. Do you come out of Sunday's game feeling like the Giants are a better football team than the Seahawks? No. no. And if, no. even if they are on paper, maybe a little, they don't scare me at all, the Giants. There so was I, only, I would take it. To me, there was only one shocking negative from the Seahawks and the Giants on Sunday. Okay. One. And that is, anybody who's a patron might know this because we mentioned it on the patron shows, that you know that the New York Giants coming into the day on Sunday – in terms of allowing yards per carry in the rushing game, defense against the run, uh -huh. dead effing last. Really? 5.7 yards. Actually, the truth is, this is actually kind of a, a weird thing. They were tied for last with the team that the Seahawks played last week, the Chargers. Oh, the Chargers, San Diego, yeah. The, the Chargers and the Giants were both allowing 5.7 yards oh. per carry coming into Sunday's action. So the Seahawks, when is the last time you could say this, played the two worst run-defending teams in back-to-back -back <laughs> weeks. Crazy. And you saw what Kenneth Walker did last week. Right. That's right, yeah. I figured that the Seahawks were going to be able to run the ball at the worst, the worst rush defense. And they were really, for the most part, the Giants bottled up. The Seahaw yeah. Seahawks had no running game. Yeah. Now, he got free for the touchdown. That was a beautiful run. Oh. The 15 or 16 yard touchdown. Like that. But ultimately, it was 25 carries, 87 yards. So, four yards of carries, 100 yards. So, it was three. So, the team that was allowing 5.7 yards to carry the Giants' defense allowed the Seahawks to run. And by the way, the Seahawks are one of the best running teams in the in the NFL mm -hmm. going in. Three point, what is it? Right. 3.567, 3.6, 3.7, something like that. Yeah, yeah. That was the one thing that did surprise me, I thought. But. The Seahawks, for a third consecutive game, play defense. Remember, we were talking about for the first oh, five games of the season. Remember, yes. You were harping on could, it. Could they play worse defense? <laughs> right. And they come out for a third consecutive game, and they shut down. Now, shutting down the pass, I don't think the Giants have very many good wide receivers. I think the Giants, actually, personnel-wise, are a real good fit for the Seahawks' defense. Mm -hmm. But Saquon Barkley came into the game as probably the leading running back in all the National Football League. He's he good. goes for 53 yards on 20 carries. Yeah, 2.7 or something, maybe? Something like that. Like that. Yeah. Impressive. Very good. I don't know what happened to this defense. We were ready to fire Very everyone. Good. Very good. Yeah, and the sacks. I got some sacks, which you love. They got five or six sacks, yeah. especially late in the game. They were able to kind of close the game out with sacks. It's all good. It's crazy. It's yeah. all good. There's nothing really to complain about. I was a little disturbed to see Ryan Neal get taken off the game on like the second to last play. Did you see that no. coming off? God, he's been a he's been a difference maker at safety yeah, for sure. since he's come in the game the last three weeks. But here's your uh, here's the remainder of the schedule. I don't know that it does anything. They have home games. They have five home games remaining. They're going to play a Raiders team that seems dead to rights. They're going to play a Panthers team here. That's going to be a, a, a big, big underdog, even though they've played better the last couple of games. They play a Jets team here that's won some games early, that got out to that that good record, but looked terrible on Sunday, lost their, their, their great running back star for the season. The Jets come here, and then the Rams and the Niners come here. So I would think that you would win three at least of the final five home games. Yeah, so that's, that's eight. Yeah. And then the road games, you've got the Cardinals this coming weekend on Sunday in Arizona in Glendale. Mm -hmm. You got the Bucks game 
which is in Germany in a couple weeks. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah. a road game. Uh, and then you've got the Rams and you've got the Chiefs. The Bucks are a mess, right? I mean, they're... Oh, my God. Yeah, they're a mess. Yeah. I, I don't know that they they won't win. The Bucks are a mess. I'm not saying... You know, they still have Tom Brady. I know he's been terrible. Kind of he's been distracted. Yeah. And they seem to be they seem to be lost. But I don't know. I mean, there's nine games to go. And I count three wins at home minimum. That's eight. I count one or two on the road minimum. That's nine or ten. Yeah. Nine and you're in. Ten, you're solid. Yep. I don't know. 10, 11, you might win the division. So you got a you got a game lead. So it's all nothing but good. It's crazy. Nothing but it's good. good to be a Seattle sports fan. It's isn't great it? to be a Seattle sports fan. <laughs> Finally, <laughs> three interviews and then a lot of other stuff on Mitch Unfiltered. Hey, look who's back. Look who's back. Jordan Flowers, Cross Country Mortgage. Hear what I did there? Cross Country Mortgage in Kirkland, weathering the interest rate storm to continually provide his clients cost-cutting opportunities. How are you, Jay Flo? Doing great. We're back in the swing of things with school starting, kids' activities. It's a fun time. What's new over there? What are you working on these days? You know, we are staying incredibly busy really right now. It's just educational information for agents and buyers. We're helping agents with their listings, trying to help them see win-win scenarios for their sellers and buyers, trying to keep sales prices up for those sellers to get all the equity they can in the home, but also help buyers see the monthly payment that they kind of had slated in their head. So putting together different payment options and programs for them there. And then holding a lot of homebuyer seminars, homebuyer classes. So if anybody listening is interested in just coming to an informational homebuying seminar and what's available to you and what to be looking for when buying a home, then email me and we'll get you on the next slated homebuying class. Okay. I'll ask you for your email at the end. Because borrowing money has become hopefully temporarily expensive. We've seen a little slowdown in home values, but not as much as you would think. Why do you think that is, Jordan? Yeah, we've not seen much of a dip here. And you might read in the newspapers that a huge crash is coming. We don't really see that happening and playing out in this market. I think we have a very strong economy in general in this Seattle market. We've always been protected, even in the worst times. The last time we went through this in 08, 09, but really prices have leveled out. We're not depreciating. We're just not appreciating as quickly. So I would say still, it's a great time to list. You might not be getting a million dollars over lists like we were at the beginning of the year, but we're still gaining value. Yeah. And overall in King County, it's maybe two, 3% right now, but pure Snohomish, we're still looking great. You and your team, of course, kind of famously made the career shift from the former company, let's call it, to cross country. What does that change mean to your clients, Jordan? Yeah, the the switch was really an opportunity for us to have more programs and products available to a larger audience base that we work with, self-employed borrowers, unique income scenario borrowers, investment property buyers, and just a more direct line to underwriting for us to make more make sense decisions on the clients that we have, as well as a much larger product offering for jumbo buyers. Okay. So opened up the product mix for us. If you wanted take a class or you want to learn a little bit more about home buying what's the uh, you always give us your phone number what's the email for jordan flowers yeah my email is jordan j-o-r-d-a-n period flowers f-l-o-w-e-r-s at my ccmortgage.com jordan dot flowers 
at myccmortgage.com. We love Jordan Flowers. We love Cross Country Mortgage, a great partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Unfiltered. They're throwing it around the yard when you thought they'd be running. Double move. Lock it on the sideline. In for the touchdown. Walker able to reverse his field. Walker inside the tape. Barreling over tacklers. We're in good position in the division to, you know, to, to make some noise if we can keep rolling. Uh, but it's about wh- where we're going. And these guys have, have kept their eye on it. Uh, Tyler's done a great job of keeping the message solid about the, this is the story's not written yet. Taco Time Northwest presents the Seahawks No Table. Brady Henderson, ESPN Seahawks Insider. Joe Fan, win bet in Las Vegas. Seahawks 27. Giants 13. We had it surrounded, boys. We had the pins surrounded, but they don't call him Joey KP for nothing in Vegas. Feeling good? You nipped both of us by the by the hair on your chinny chin chin, Joe Fan. What were the scores? Can you please give those to me again? Um, I'm doing this based on memory. Joe had 24-17 Seahawks. I had 24-20 Seahawks. And you had 31-17 Seahawks. And the final score was 27 to 13. As I said, we had, I mean, what constitutes a KP? Is it not the play, the, the person who picks the correct winning team and the correct margin of victory? Can somebody explain to me how I lost this KP? Uh are you are you salty about this, Brady? Hell yeah, I'm salty. I got I got prices righted last week. Uh, seriously, what what is how is a KP defined? I was off. <laughs> so it's not the guy who picks the correct margin of victory. No, no. Look, Joe missed it by seven points. He was he was three off on the Seahawks and four off on the Giants. You were four off on the Seahawks and four off on the Giants. So you missed. I was by- I was zero off on the margin of victory, though. What do you want me to do? Change the rule? You want me to change? <laughs> no, the rules I think the that's middle? I think that's how KPs should be determined. So if you pick, so let me get this straight. If Joe picks 27, what did he pick? 24-17. And you pick 62 yeah. to 40, uh, 48. To 48, you should get it over Joe. You were closer to Joe. You were closer to the final score than Joe was. Is that <laughs> yeah. what you want, Brady? Is that what you That's want? What I believe. <laughs> what I believe it in my heart of hearts. No, it's not. <laughs> There's no way. That's what you believe. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, I need, I need to win one of these. Brady, it was a good shot. Things. It was a good shot. It was a solid six iron to about six feet, and I hit a so- stuck it I, I I hit a solid six iron to about eight feet, and Joe was five feet eleven inches. He beat. He nipped us. What do you want? Give him. The, give the guy. I mean, look at him. He's got hardly <laughs> anything. There's nothing on the walls where he is. He's got no. He's got nothing over there. He's got. He's he's in Vegas, stranded on a desert island. Give you know what he's got a lot of? He's got a lot of skins, and I need one. No, he doesn't have sake. that many. It's four. I've got two in a row. I'm only down by one now. Four. It's four, three, and to one. Three to one. All right, let's get to the game. Any question, Joe Fan, on who the more complete team is now that we've seen the six and one Giants, the four and three Seahawks? They played. Yeah, it was here. But they played. We saw the offense. We saw the wide receivers. We saw the quarterbacks. We saw the defenses. We saw two great young running backs. Any, we saw special teams. Any question 
on who has the better football team between those two organizations right now. Zero. And I think that's why the Seahawks were a three-point favorite. I think that's why all three of us predicted them to win. To me, it comes down to the passing game where there's just no question that Seattle had a monster edge. Not only had Geno Smith been better than Daniel Jones, but you just can't compare Tyler Lockett, uh, DK Metcalf, Noah Fant, even go down to Mar- Marquise Goodwin, probably the best receiver on their team. I mean, the yep. best. I mean, Darius Slayton has been a, a very solid guy for them, but he's just in no way, shape, or form a number one. Um, and he's yet been their sort of pseudo number one for like the last two or three years because no one else can stay healthy when it comes to Sterling Shepard, uh, Kadarius Tony, who now just got traded to Kansas City. Um, yes, I think this game was very indicative of where we believed the edges were in Seattle's favor if they could not get just dominated in the running game by Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones. And they passed that test with flying colors, which is the perfect segue to Brady. I would say for the third week in a row, while the offense did enough to win the storyline, the headliner, the marquee is the Seahawks defense. Now the giants aren't great offensively as Joe points out, but this was a really another, a third consecutive, really, really terrific effort by that side of the ball after they were, Horse crap, horse manure the first five weeks of the season. There's no debating that. And, you know, I get that the Giants, they don't have a ton of weapons outside of Saquon Barkley and and really Daniel Jones's legs. But, you know, when you hold Saquon Barkley to 53 yards on 20 carries for a 2.7 yard average, he scored a touchdown. But that was set up by, you know, the the short field that when they recovered the fumble at the two yard line. That is a really strong day for them. And uh, this is three straight weeks now. And, and we're I think we're past the point of still wondering whether or not this defense is for real. You could have wondered it maybe after the Arizona game, uh, but it's it was Arizona. Uh, it was the Chargers last week, a really loaded offense uh, in L.A. And then, you know, the team with one of the best running backs in the NFL in this game. And so that defense is for real. And it, it really looks like the Seahawks are for real. So can we put our finger on it? Is there a simple answer to the question? What happened? I think there's a number of things. I mean, players and, and coaches have talked about the kind of shift they made uh, up front and letting their defensive linemen be more aggressive. And, you know, that. That makes sense uh, when you consider that a lot of the, you know, the good play that they've had, it looks like it's starting up front. They're making plays in the backfield. Uh, they're getting after quarterbacks. I think they had, what, five sacks in this game. Uh, who knows how many hits on, on Daniel Jones. And so I think it's partly there's just going to be a natural settling in uh, when you've got a few games under your belt. And guys, it's a lot of young players playing. And even, you know, older players who had to learn a new system. I think there was just some, you know, some kind of getting used to the new scheme that those guys had to do. So I think between that and the way that they're letting their defensive linemen play more aggressively, I think that's why you're seeing what you're seeing. That was three, four, five, six, seven, eight quarterback hits on Daniel Jones, plus the five sacks. So, uh, and you know, the two takeaways on special teams, really, really a strong day for them. Joe, let's flip it over to the offense. I think when you look at Geno Smith Sunday afternoon against the Giants and you look at the numbers, they may not jump off the page at you because he threw for only in the in the low 200s. He had a he had a ball dropped. But I think what was significant about the effort on Sunday from the passing offense and Geno in particular is that he saw something that we haven't seen yet this year. He saw a team that really sold out to hit him. Wink Martindale came after him hard. They blitzed him. They blitzed him over and over again. They came from different angles. 
I don't know how many quarterback hits and how many pressures that they had, but it was a it was a mountain of a number. And uh, and he just kind of stood tall. Yeah, he got sacked a couple of times, but he hung in there and they made plays in the passing game. He threw two touchdowns, should have been three with the locket drop. So so we see another layer of productive offense against something a little bit different. Yeah, 10 quarterback hits, five of which were Leonard Williams, who was an animal. And you'll remember the last time these two teams played, uh, I'm pretty sure he dominated that game as well a couple of years ago uh, at Lumen Field. And then the three sacks. Yeah, you mentioned the locket drop. Got to mention the DK drop on the left sideline as well in the first half where third down play, a lot of contact. Pete Carroll runs down the sideline wanting to get the penalty. Didn't get it. Um, but Gito got popped on that play and he delivered an absolute dart over DK's shoulder where only he could get it. Yeah, it was tremendous. And again, what what you don't see, you know, yeah, the production might not have been what what it could have been, but you also don't see that the terrible decisions and the the turnover happy games. And I know he got away with some last week, so I don't want to say he's been flawless, but that comes with territory of every quarterback. But it just does seem like he has found this beautiful balance of being able to take shots. And even when guys aren't wide open without regularly putting the football in danger. And I mean, that's elite quarterback play. Now you can't trivialize that at all. I mean, the, the giants look there is teams that will be in the playoffs that will be des that would be desperate for Geno Smith right now. So certainly, and then Kenneth Walker to put the nail in the coffin with a run that is supposed to go right and only right. And it's just an individual effort to beat three dudes coming back left when it wasn't there. That's special stuff. So yeah, you've got to give uh, credit all over the place. Um, continue uh, offensively. It was 19 pressures. Uh, he was, he was pressured 19 times in this game. Geno Smith was, and according to ESPN stats and info, that was the most in any game in his career. And also the most that any quarterback has faced uh, in a regulation win this season. So just to give you an idea of how well he did, despite being under a lot of duress in this game. And that's just another sort of notch in what Gino has done this year. And another thing that you can point to and say that yeah, he's doing that really well. Um, and you're just running out of things that you can not say that about him. Like what really hasn't he done? I guess the only thing you could say is you haven't seen him lead, you know, a game winning drive late when the Seahawks are down, but you know, that's, that's also nitpicking. He did lead a game winning drive in this game. It was, you know, I think midway through the fourth quarter. So it wasn't that classic game winning situation. I also want to mention something that happened in his post-game news conference and a reporter, I think it was a reporter who covers the giants asked him if this was any sort of, if he feels any sort of vindication or any sense of revenge in beating the giants, given the way that his lone season with them went in 2017, remember that there's that really awkward situation where they benched Eli Manning in favor of him late in the year. Uh, and then they lost that game and then the giants fired their head coach and GM. And then with a, apparently a nudge from the owner, they, the new coaching staff reinserted Eli Manning, just a really sort of weird situation, kind of a crummy thing to do to Geno Smith. And he was, you know, he had the opportunity to kind of stick it to the giants and he didn't, not only did he not do that, he praised uh, uh, his former coach and GM at the time and, and said that the win was for them. And so Geno has had a number of chances uh, throughout this great start of his to really kind of say, Hey, look what I'm doing. And to kind of throw it back, 
in everybody's face who doubted him and, and who, you know, said that he was a backup quarterback. And frankly, I, that's what I thought too. So I'm not going to distance myself from that. And every time he's taken the high road and just think of how difficult, like think of how inclined you might be to, to kind of try to throw it back in people's faces. If you're, if you've been through what he's been through and you're playing as well as he is. So credit to him. Uh, he's taken the high road every time he's made it about the team and not himself. And I think that's admirable. Brady Henderson, ESPN Seahawks insider, Ryan Neal, Austin Blythe, Daryl Taylor, injury update from Sunday's win over the Giants, please, if you don't mind. Yeah, Ryan Neal, apparently that was just cramps. He had had cramps in both hamstrings, according to Pete Carroll, so he seems to be fine. Uh, Blythe, he has a knee sprain. That's what Pete Carroll said. You saw him come back into the game, and they were sort of rotating him and Kyle Fuller. Um, I think Pete Carroll said that Blythe could have finished the game if it was like an emergency situation. So something to monitor there, but doesn't seem like it's uh, really bad. And then Daryl Taylor, um, you know, he was listed as questionable going into the game. It sounds like he tried to give it a go and he was not able to. It's some sort of a groin hip thing. And so I I don't know if he played at all, but he was in street clothes for all the second half. And so So Bruce uh, Irvin got a lot of play. A lot lot of time out there. He did. And he made some plays. There was that, you know, near sack of Daniel Jones in the first half where I think Cody Barton, he slowed him down enough to where Cody Barton was able to clean that up, blew up a running play uh, in the backfield. Also had a, he jumped off sides at one point, but they're getting a lot from Bruce Servant. And remember, this is, I think he's 35 years old. He was working out. And I remember he had given himself, I think two or three more weeks he said, if I don't have a team, if I'm not signed in two or three more weeks, he said he was going to call it a career. So the Seahawks called him just in time. And uh, that's looking like a really nice pickup for them so far. Joe, you were around the Seahawks for several years there, several of the Tyler Lockett years. What a day on Sunday for Tyler Lockett, the ups and downs. Well, the downs, the downs, the downs, and then the ups. Man, handed him a touchdown on a silver platter by putting the ball down on the field at the two-yard line, dropped a uh, right in the bread basket, touchdown, long touchdown, beautiful touchdown pass from Gino, and then he and then he gets back out there and he he catches the go ahead touchdown to help them win the game. Hard not to root. I mean, you were around him. I've been around him. Brady's around him. Hard not to root for a guy who's kind of down to earth, friendly, humble like Tyler Lockett. He's just a normal dude who goes to work and a man who is one hundred percent bought into what's happening with the team and not whatever his own production is um, always says the right thing might never really give you the, the real hot take headliney quotes, but he just goes about his business. And I, I kind of have this like lasting impression of Tyler Lockett being around VMAC. And he's a guy who he would always grab lunch and then just kind of be walking around VMAC in the locker room, just in his socks wouldn't have shoes or his slides on. He's like, I just kind of like to have my feet on the ground. And that's what I do. And it's just like, wow. it's kind of just this weird quirk where he's just a dude who shows up, happens to be really, really good at football. Never a too high or too low guy. I mean, certainly he's got a number of traits about how he carries himself in life that I wish I could emulate. Yeah. I mean, he is just a, a really good human and he's just, you have one conversation with him and it's impossible not to, to root for him and and feel good when he overcomes adversity or just has success in general, really, as he's had beyond the gruesome injury, he's been so good for Seattle. The second they drafted him, we are on the doorstep of who was doing some work. 
Brought to you by Taco Time and the Taco Time Northwest family at TacoTimeNW.com. But before we get there, a significant day in the world of the NFL. Maybe a little bit more important in baseball and basketball, but a significant day is coming, Brady. And you've said all along, we don't need you to say it again, that that Sidney Jones might be a likely guy that they would trade because of salary cap relief that they would get from getting from behind his salary. I guess the question now with a 5-3 and three football team who's trying to chase down, I don't know, the Philadelphia Eagles and the Minnesota Vikings in the NFC to get to a Super Bowl is, is there any way salary cap-wise they could add a significant piece that they can – that can help them win games over the next 10 or 11 weeks. If it's going to be a guy who is on like a high price veteran contract, then I think they would a have to uh, include Sidney Jones in that deal or trade him and, or they would have to renegotiate another contract, which they just don't like to do. It's sort of a last resort for them. And they've already done it with, uh, I think Gabe Jackson and Shelby Harris. So uh, there's not a whole lot of options there. So I think the best case scenario for them would be you get a young player who's on his rookie deal, who's not making a whole lot of money, um, but that obviously limits your options. And uh, you know, they've only got, I think around $3 million in cap space right now, but you know, you, you need a lot of that to pay just for injury replacements. So that's, that's not a whole lot of breathing room that they have right now. They have all the draft capital that they could want, but not a whole lot of money. So it's, Joe, it could be a challenge for them. Should they, if they can figure out a creative way to do it? I mean, this is, this is, I find myself almost, I find it unbelievable that I'm even asking this question, but I am asking the question that you ask of teams that are on the precipice of something special in a given year, trading deadline discussion. Should the Seattle Seahawks at five and three, they're currently the number three seed in the NFC. They're the leading NFC West team. They're looking at home field in the first round of the playoffs. They're trying to chase the team down for a bye. I know it's crazy speak, but it's speak. Nonetheless, should they be trying to acquire a pass rusher, an offensive lineman, uh, a linebacker, somebody that can help gobble up tackles, uh, somebody in the secondary, another corner, a shutdown, a corner who's who's uh, disenchanted with his current NFL team, a big time corner who could come in and play opposite of Tariq Woolen. Anything like that pique your interest? I just don't know if the big name that's is out there that would be worth giving away a day two draft pick. I have a hard time stomaching that as a Seahawks fan, just because my guess is again, and this is all pure conjecture, the, the return wouldn't feel worthy of that. Um, to me, it's going to be somebody who will, yes, they should be looking to improve, but to me, it's going to be somebody who is uh, on his way out, unhappy in his current situation. Team's not happy with him. You know, you're Robbie Anderson to Arizona, you're Kadarius Tony to Kansas city, somebody who has just fallen out of favor with your coaching staff, who you decided that, you know, you like their tape, you like them coming out and you can get them for a conditional late round pick that, you know, if they end up playing for you or being an injury replacement, even if, you know, somebody gets hurt, they're not an immediate starter, but now you have some extra depth at a spot. You feel like you could use some depth. Yeah. I think certainly, I mean, playoffs should be the goal at this point. You look at everything that continues to happen in the NFC. The division is certainly within reach. The Niners are going to be there. I feel pretty confident. I don't, I don't know if the Rams are going to be able to figure it out. They look terrible. 
But the way some of these results continue to go, Green Bay lost again on Sunday. They're three and five. Tampa Bay lost again on Sunday. They're three and five. Arizona lost again on Sunday. They're three and five. The eighth place team, the outside looking in is Washington at four and four. If you don't look at that team and say, we should be a a better team than Washington, you know, you got problems. I know they do. Of course they do. As do we, I think everyone in Seattle. And so when you look at what's there in the NFC, the absolute unequivocal goal is this team should be playing in the postseason this year. And so whatever you can find to supplement that at a reasonable cost, you should, you should look into it as I think they will. Yeah. And I think there are a lot of their approach is going to depend on what they feel about the guys uh, that are hurt right now who have a chance to come back. And Mitch mentioned pass rushers, you know, they've got Daryl Johnson uh, who is on IR and it sounds like they are expecting him to come back. Uh, at some point, maybe before not too long, Alton Robinson is also on IR, but uh, I have not gotten the sense that he's as close as Johnson is. Uh, you know, they got Trey Brown who just returned to practice uh, last week. He, he may still need another couple weeks of practice, but they're going to add him to the cornerback mix. So um, even if they don't end up adding anybody, I think they're going to get, you know, they're going to have some guys who sort of function like trade acquisitions uh, because they're coming off an injury. If there is one position that I could see them adding at, um, it's that inside linebacker. And, and maybe that's not a starter to replace uh, Cody Barton because I think he's kind of come on in the last couple of weeks and, and had played better. Uh, but either way, I think they still need some depth there. You know, their third their third inside linebacker right now is Nick Ballore, who has not played a ton of defense. And he also missed this game with a concussion. But I think that's a spot where maybe depth wise, they could shore up. Obviously, you're not going to give up a whole lot for a, a backup inside linebacker, but that's one spot to keep an eye on. Taco Time Northwest is the presenting sponsor of this segment. The Seahawks No Table will be back together again for patrons on a Thursday for a show that will be released on Friday when we project the, we preview the Cardinals Seahawks game and we go closest to the pin and see if Joe can make it three in a row KPs. But before we get there, let's go ahead and uh, and identify some people that were doing some work. So we'll give Joe since he won the KP. The pick of the litter. You can have anybody on the Seahawks or anybody else who was doing some work on Sunday, Joe. All right, I've got three guys I want to. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go right ahead and take Uchenna Nuosu, who had Damn two it. sacks and continues to just be such an absolute star for this team. One of the best offseason acquisitions around the league that you're going to find. He came into the week. Uh, weekend leading the league in pressures and he adds two more sacks to his total. This pass rush was lights out largely and he continues to be the ringleader and huge kudos to to John Schneider and and company for um, kind of tabbing him as a guy that that they really needed to target. And and when you look back, okay, it's a rebuilding year, but they're signing these different pieces and whatever. I think the hope is that, you know, their culture establishers right now and then can help you win in the future. And well, Uchenna Nuosu is helping them win right now and in, in a huge way. Brady, Mitch, why don't you go ahead? I'm I'm at a loss right now because I was Are you? Dead, dead set on picking Uchenna Nuosu. And now I'm having to mad scramble. Well, come on. You had, to, you had to. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'll, what do you want I'll, to- I'll take Gino. I'll bite the bullet and take Gino Smith. That's obvious. Okay. It's an obvious one, but he just continues to play really excellent. If you look at the other quarterbacks in the NFC, uh, we've had this conversation before, like he's playing at a pro bowl level when you just look at the rest of, of the conference. And so mm-hmm. uh, we've already said all of the things, uh, you know, we've talked about how great he was today, how great he's been this season. Uh, and again, in this game against his former team, beating his former team for the second straight week, uh, Geno Smith was doing some work. 
Well, that leaves uh, a lot of guys. Something tells me that uh, the front four on defense should get uh, some sort of accolade or accolades for holding Barkley, helping hold Barkley to 53 yards on, on 20 carries. I think I would go off the board if the guy didn't get hurt. I think the fact that he got hurt makes me not want to use him, but I was going to say Richie James mm. was doing some work. The Giants punt returner who was as as instrumental in the Seahawks win as any Seahawk player dropping the Certainly. ball twice on punt returns, but because he got hurt and they took him off on a, on a card, I think it would be a, a little insensitive. So I'll tell so you good what. Good thing you didn't mention him. I'm good not, thing you didn't I'm mention, not yeah. mentioning him. I, I think I'm going to go Will Disley. I'll go Will Disley because Will Disley made a hit that caused one of the fumbles on the punt, and then he recovered the other fumble on the punt. And let's not forget there was a little shovel pass, a very significant play in the first half. I believe it was a fourth down play. Fourth and one. Yep. Fourth and one where he shoveled off to – Disley, who went into the middle of the line and picked up a very important first down, keep the drive alive and end in a touchdown. So I'll say Will Disley, Taco Time Northwest, Will Disley and Richie James, they were doing doing some work. I was just going to say, Richie James, if that name sounds familiar, remember he was used to be with the 49ers. Uh, he returned that kickoff a few years ago. I think in, yeah, in 2018, remember when Sebastian Janikowski uh, oh, just geez. was completely disinterested in trying to tackle him, and Richie James ran it back for a touchdown. So yeah. Richie James taketh, and he giveth away or something like that. Something like that. I think it's he giveth. And taketh away. He giveth time. and taketh away. Yeah, yes, that's correct. Like that. I want to give a shout out to Shelby Harris, who oh, to me made one of the great unsung tackles. plays of oh. the day. He's been, when he's been healthy, he, he's been really good. And I, you can see the duo. I kind of talked about Tyler Lockett not being your headline quote guy. Shelby Harris is absolutely that dude. And, and I think he feels uh, like there is a big old chip on his shoulder being a part of that, that trade to come to Seattle. And I think he is embracing what's happening and is ready to fight anybody who suggests the Seahawks aren't very good or aren't for real. Love the mentality. I love watching the interviews, love the way he plays. I think he's a wonderful veteran presence on that defense. Um, but that play he made near the right sideline uh, late in that game, I think it's still a one score game. Daniel Jones is scrambling and Shelby Harris gets the angle, trips him up. It's a third down play. Leads to fourth down, certainly gets a first down and then someone. We've seen Daniel Jones put up 100 yards last week on the ground by himself. He, a dude can move. And Shelby Harris found a way to get to him and trip him up. And that was just an, an unbelievable effort play for a guy who, who clearly is, is leaving on the field and uh, has been a wonderful addition. So I would say in addition to a Chenonuosu, Shelby Harris was also doing some work. Let me ask you a question. If the... If the the man in charge of odds making at WinBet called you and said, who should I make the favorite right now when I put it on the board to win the NFC West? Who should have the lowest odds of the four NFC West teams? And Joe, since you, you have a vested interest and you're close to the NFC West, you're in San Francisco, you're in Seattle, I trust you, Joe. Tell me who I should make the favorite of the four teams right now with the records as they are to win the NFC West. Yeah, this will upset some people with the Niners. They're only one game back, and they've got a game in hand against the Seahawks. They've already beat the Rams twice. Um, so they're in such good shape within the division, and even though they had some some real clunkers, 
certainly against the Falcons, then the following week against the Chiefs. You know, you think if that defense can get healthy, they will still be one of the best in football. Christian McCaffrey is going to be one of the most dangerous skill players in all of football now working with Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, they they smoked the Rams on Sunday without Debo Samuel. So you imagine when they get both of them on the field, they're going to be going to be dangerous. Um, so I would say the Niners, if I'm making the odds, the Niners are at plus 125 and the Seahawks are right behind it, plus 160. I think you mentioned the NFC West. I think you mentioned um, who the who the Niners have beaten. You mentioned that Chiefs game. I think it's significant that their Chiefs game is over and done with and in the standings book, and that the Seahawks still have to go to Kansas City and play the Chiefs, and they still have Christmas to play Eve. the Rams, and they still have to play the Rams twice. So, uh, I would, by the way, completely agree with you that the 49ers should be the favorite to win the NFC West. But I would say if that same odds maker asked you to put on the board the chances of the Seahawks being in the playoffs in the NFC, one way or the other, I think it's way Minus over. Minus 175. Way over 50%. Way over 50%, right? Minus 175. Minus 175. You got to pay some juice for that. Ladies Does and- that mean that you pay 175 to win 100? Correct. Correct. I'm just asking the questions that the audience might want to ask any other questions on the KP no further questions your honor (laughs) ladies and gentlemen we'll be back this crew if we don't kill each other first we'll be back uh, for the Friday release for the patrons as we look ahead to the five and three Seahawks trip to Glendale Arizona to face the Cardinals I just hope that Hauschka is not kicking for the Seahawks in that game Brady Henderson ESPN Seahawks insider thank you Brady yeah thanks Joe fan in Vegas Win bet. Thank you, Joe. Brahan, Mitch, appreciate you guys. (laughs) See you. Hey, look who I found. It's Katie Versio, Director of Financial Planning for Evergreen Golf Call, an incredible partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Katie, how's everyone doing over there at at Evergreen? We're doing very well, Mitch. How are you? Uh, Very well. I'll have you know. Everyone knows by now. Mitch went three for three last time. I'm expecting that the streak is going to continue. Do we have a theme today? Yes. So theme today, we're doing an economic update. So I pulled some questions from our most recent podcast, The Evergreen Exchange. It's a biweekly podcast that we put out. It discusses investing, the economy, and other financial planning topics. So for those who are interested in learning more, you can find The Evergreen Exchange anywhere you listen to podcasts. Which is also produced by our producer, Steve. So I'm ready for question number one, Katie, go. Okay, so the Federal Reserve has been increasing interest rates in 2022 to slow down the economy and fight inflation. Has this year had the quickest increase in rates in 40 years? Is that true or false? Yeah, I think it's true. I think I read something about 40 years. I'll say true, Katie. That's right. We've had the fastest tightening cycle this year. The second fastest was in 1995-1996. We find that the Fed really tends to overcorrect when they're during these tightening cycles, and that has pushed us into recessions historically. We're expecting them to increase rates two more times here in 2022, and so that's part of the reason why the markets are down so substantially, with stocks and bonds both down about 20%. And now I'm on a four-question streak. Let's make it five. Question number two, Kate. All right. Since 1950, there's been 14 Fed hiking cycles where they increase interest rates. How many of these 14 cycles have ended in a recession? Is it 6, 9, 11, or 14? Would be a total guess 
I can't believe it's 14, and I'm sure six is way too low. I'll go 11. I'll go C, Katie. That's right. You got that one right. Yes! <laughs> Typically, what the Fed is trying to do when they increase interest rates is to have a soft landing to ease the economy, to slow it down, but not slow it down too much. And historically, they have not been very successful in doing so. Oh, my God. I'm five for my last five. Shall we quit now or do we go to a question three, Katie? <laughs> we'll see. This one's a tough one. Okay. Interest rates have increased dramatically this year, which has really shifted the income markets. So in October of 2021, a year ago, a two-year Treasury bond was yielding 0.5%. So today, what is that yield? Is it 2.5%, 3.5%, 4%, or 4.5%? 3.5%? in the dark? So you didn't quite get that one right. It's actually D, four and a half percent. I tried to trick you with that one by putting it on the end there. It's been a huge amount of income pickup over the last year from 0.5% to four and a half percent for these bonds. So we're finding a lot more opportunities in the income markets versus what we saw a year ago. So while we think there will be continued volatility in the stock market, we're finding a lot of more opportunities to increase income. For those that are interested in learning more about this, how we're positioning portfolios, I'd recommend listening to our most recent podcast and checking out our website at evergreengk.com. And of course, the Evergreen Exchange every other week from Evergreen Golf Call, a great partner of Mitch Unfiltered and everything wealth. Unfiltered. Down to 10 of the 19. And intercepted. Wow! Tuimolo again. Unbelievable. JT Tuimolo has had the game of his life. A national championship quarterback. 29 touchdown passes last year. This one's knocked up. Bowers tips it to himself and he'll score. Touchdown, Georgia. It'll be the game of the year in college football. It's coming. Saturday on CBS, 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 and the man that will be waxing poetic from the New York studios is, of course, our guest presented by Taco Time Northwest doing some work 60 years and going strong, looking for new members of the Taco Time team and family Taco Time NW.com. And I bring in Rick Neuheisel from New York who had plenty to say to me before we started recording. And after he finished his spiel, and it was beautiful, ladies and gentlemen, you only should have heard it. After he finished his spiel, I said to him, well, why don't you give us a version of that as we start your weekly segment? Would you like to take us back a few minutes in time to how you treated me when I said hello to you for the first time tonight? Mitch, it's only right. And let's just remind everybody that Taco Time loves people who are doing some work. Okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, because there's a guy doing some work there in your fair city of Seattle. And he's not my best friend. As a matter of fact, he's never been my best friend. As a matter of fact, he's the kind of guy that has worn me out at time to time. But you have to give the devil his due, and that's the great Pete Carroll. I'm, I'm on the East Coast. I'm in New York, and as you know, the giant game was on television everywhere, and everybody here is just you know, a buzz with giant fever because it wasn't anticipated that Brian Dable would have this kind of early success. 
And yet here he is headed to Seattle, only one loss. And the Seahawks were without Russell Wilson. This is going to be a, one of those wins that we could kind of count on as giant fans. Not so fast, my friend. Not Geno so Smith. Yes. The West Virginia prodigy <laughs> finds a way to win. And this is where I go back and I remember what Pete Carroll in my life was. <laughs> Pete Carroll was the guy that gets the USC job, not first choice, not second choice, not third choice, maybe not fourth or fifth, maybe sixth choice <laughs> for the Trojans. Yeah. And yet don't tell Pete Carroll he wasn't the sixth choice. I walked out onto a high school football field while I was coaching for UCLA to find Pete Carroll on the sideline. He goes, I haven't seen a UCLA guy out here on the road yet. I said, well, get used to it. <laughs> and it was just like, we are going to do battle, whether it's, you know, the breakfast cereals, Quisp and Quake, whether it's, you know, uh, McDonald's and Jack in the Box, whether it's you pick it, yeah. Coke and Pepsi. We're going to do battle. Yes. It, it was just that way. As a matter of fact, in a coach's meeting, mm -hmm. one time I had the audacity to bring up that I'd like my three sons, Jerry, Jack, and Joe, all under 18 at the time, to be on the sidelines with me. It was one of the things you could give to a son whose dad was gone all the time, couldn't go to their games. You could give them, hey, you come on the sideline and bring your friend, and all of a sudden your dad being a coach isn't a bad thing. Dennis Erickson, yeah, my dad was a coach. Absolutely. Jim Harbaugh, my dad was a coach. Absolutely. On down the line. Pete Carroll. No, I don't want that. Why not? Your son's on your staff. He said, no, I don't want that. I don't know if he did thought Jerry, Jack, and Joe were going to help me with recruits or what, but he said no. And basically a middle finger saying no. And I'm like, okay, this okay. guy and I are going to be mortal enemies. Now I'm watching him win this game with a team that's basically supposed to be a fire sale. Uh -huh. They ship off Russell Wilson uh -huh. and now they're leading the division. And I'm like, you know, this guy can coach. <laughs> I may not like him, but I have healthy respect for him. And so too should the city of Seattle, because this guy knows how to bring a team together. What was your record against job. him? What was your record against him? One in three. One in three. You beat him the, beat first, him the time. first time. The first time. Beat him the first time, kicked the field goal, and it was a beautiful clock drive, Mitch. You would have loved it. I bled the clock all the way down, knocked it through. Washington? Carson Palmer. Washington? Carson, yes. It was at Washington. It was in Husky Stadium. Johnny Anderson struck it through the uprights, yep. and I went across to shake his hand. And instead of saying, hey, congratulations, he said, we'll be back. It was Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> I'm going, I'm sure you will. And has he been back? Uh, oh. So give the devil his due. Yes, the sir. devil's in the details. Yes, Congratulations sir. to Pete Carroll. And you think he's going to win the NFC West. I disagree. He's going to win you. the NFC West. I, I, I disagree with you on that, but we'll see who's right. You know what? I'm just telling you, this guy can coach. He's good. What makes him good? He understands how to pull it out of people. Geno Smith has now got a chance for a second life in the NFL. And this season that he's enjoying right now, if it can continue, is going to give him riches beyond his wildest dreams. And the guy who had to go get a sweater in New York because he didn't get picked on day one. All of a sudden, Pete Carroll's got him believing. He's He makes kids believe. He took a kid out of modern day high school, a kid by the name of Matt Grudegood, who was a quarterback 
Matt Grudegood made him an outside linebacker at USC, and the kid was a star because Pete made him believe he could do it. Mm. Pete's good. Mm. Okay, we uh, we graduate from the Seahawks to the world of college football. If I had said to you eight weeks ago, Rick Neuheisel, the game of the year in college football is going to be the first Saturday of November. It's going to match two SEC teams, and Nikki Saban is not going to be one of them. It's not possible. <laughs> it's not possible. The fact that I am watching... <sighs> The ESPN game last night between Stanford and UCLA and the highlights are coming up that LSU and Alabama are on ESPN next week are shocking me. I'm going, that's not possible. We pay all the freight for that game. But yet we want Georgia and Tennessee. One and two? 3.30 Eastern time, Athens, Georgia on CBS. And the first college football playoffs will be released this week. Tuesday night. Yeah. Some people might be listening to this after they've been released. So the intrigue will be over if that's the case for you. Do we care? Uh, So you've got Tennessee, Georgia, and Ohio State. They'll be one, two, and three in some order. You've got Michigan. And Michigan will be the fourth. Well, I was going to say Michigan, Clemson, and Alabama will be four, five, and six in some order. What does this first rendition tell us? Is there anything that's important about it? Is there, I mean, there's no conceivable way that any of the six teams that we just mentioned could win out and not make it into the final four, right? Those those six, because they play one, some of them play one another. So it doesn't matter. They win out those six, they're in the final four. What will be interesting, Mitch, to me, the only thing that's really important is which team will be ahead of the other, Clemson or TCU, because those two teams could be undefeated. And if they run the table, you would anticipate them both getting in. But which one's ahead? Because I don't believe either one of them is in the top four right now. Nor do I believe they can win their way into the top four. So the team that is ahead of the other gives themselves the best possible chance to be in the final four seasons end. So Oregon, USC, UCLA are cooked. I don't say cooked because we know that too many games are to be played and outcomes become, you know, either the close game, the triple overtime thriller, or they become like Oregon, unfortunately lost to Georgia in the opener. Right. But if they get a, reprieve because of a result somewhere down here in the month of November Mm -hmm. and they're still alive. And and I, and I think both the big 12 and the PAC 12 races are reason why we should get to 12 teams before uh, sooner than later. Is it time to rethink our stance and opinion on Bo Nix? He's taken a lot. He's taken a lot of shots during the first six or seven weeks of this season. He was a part of six scores on Saturday, and he's got Oregon Oregon's offense running beautifully. Of course, there was the early season, a loss that you just talked about that was ugly to Georgia, but he seems to have settled in into a kind of a consistent offensive threat. You didn't buy it earlier. Do you buy it now? Give credit where credit's due. Uh, the offense at Oregon has been outstanding. They absolutely walloped UCLA. They uh, you know, maybe got up to a rough start against Cal, but atoned nicely. 
there's no reason not to like what Bo Nix is doing. And we got to acknowledge it. There's just no way not to acknowledge it. I was taking a look at this Kiffin versus uh, Jimbo matchup this past weekend. Right. And uh, we were reminded of the clown comment that Jimbo made of coaches in the SEC. Kiffin got the better of Jimbo. Ole Miss over Texas A&M. And I started thinking to myself, Jimbo, Kiffin, Nick Saban, Smart. Are are any of these guys likable? Are any of these SEC coaches outside of the SEC? Is there anybody? Not like you and me, Mitch. Not like you and me. (laughs) Is there anybody? They're not the kind of guy we want to hang out with. You and I, you know, remember the old dating game? You and I were Bachelor One and Bachelor Two, and you put any of those guys in Bachelor Three, we would be picked every time. Okay? Every time. They're no fun to just hang out with. But but let me just say this, that Lane Kiffin put Jimbo in his place as if he needed to be put there because he's been put there countless times this year. Already, yeah. Jimbo is in a world of hurt. He's trying to spin his way out of it. But right now, and and, and the money will preserve him for a while, but he's got some real uh, decisions to make as to how the program's going to go forward. What do you think about all these defensive players falling down, injured to slow down up-tempo offenses? And if there's anything that could be done to uh, to rectify this situation during the offseason in terms of rules committees? We're never going to call an injured player uninjured because of the one time, just the one time that you're wrong. So the answer has to be about how fast we're going to let teams go. That's for officials to determine. uh, And you can just start taking timeouts away from those who have injured players. We do it in the NFL all the time. Mm -hmm. All we have to do is start adding that rule in particular in the second half. And uh, you'll get people to fix that. Ugly post-game scene in Ann Arbor. Yeah. Rick, Michigan player surrounded, maybe even assaulted by a number of Michigan State players. I guess we must still have tunnels in these old stadiums where both teams end up in the same place. I don't know. I I guess none of these new stadiums will ever allow that to happen. They should go. One team should go one way and one team should go the other way. Well, as you know, the Husky Stadium has one tunnel, at least while I was coaching there. And while Don James was there, the visiting team was at the top of the tunnel. We would walk down the tunnel first. The home team would be sitting there in that auditorium and barking at us while we'd walk out. And it was this scene that was kind of an intimidation scene. And then when you'd go at halftime, you'd all be going up there at the same time, but nothing came of it. I think it just has to be one of those deals where the officials say, you've got this much time to get to your locker room. They hold another team and then the other team goes, but it's a, it's a horrible scene when we can't get out of the, after the competition into our locker room safely. And uh, Jim Harbaugh, as much as I've never been a huge fan, given our relationship, he's right on this one. It's time because Taco Time Northwest presents Rick Neuheisel's segment with me on Mitch Unfiltered every single week during the college football season. You know, we have to identify somebody from the world of college football or sports or non-sports that was doing some work. We can be as creative as we'd like. I always, because he's the visiting team, he's always the visiting team, New Heisel. You get the choice. Do you want to 
take the pick of the litter or you want to defer and hear mine first? I always want to hear yours okay. first because right. you're such a learned uh, gentleman <laughs> on the history and the, and the tradition of college football. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't go that far. I was going to give my who's doing some work to the entire Kansas State football program. Oh, beautiful. Jesus. I've never seen a ninth ranked team play a team uh, lower ranked and lose what they lose 47 to nothing, 48, to 48 nothing? to zero, 48 to nothing. It's the first time a top 10 team has been beaten, shut out in that kind of capacity since 1966, wow. which was when my wife was born. Mitch. <laughs> One year before me. There's good news and bad news there. (laughs) Sue loves the recognition, but hates the fact that now I've told everybody how old this Yes. Well, I was going to go K-State football as my doing some work, my taco time doing some work, but I've decided to go off the board as I typically do and decide that Brett Yormark, is that the way I pronounce his name? That's him. The Big 12 new commissioner has signed a new media deal for the Big 12 that is going to be in excess of 2.2 or $2.3 billion. Now, all I've heard in the last many months since Texas and Oklahoma announced their exit and their departure was this was the beginning of the end of the Big 12 as we know it. They'll never be as lucrative as... And yet... Here we are. Bowlesby, this guy Bowlesby, who used to be the, the the Big 12 commissioner, said, this is it. This is it. This is going to sink media rights and revenue that's going to come in from TV for the Big 12 with Texas and Oklahoma. League. And yet he hits pay dirt. This is a huge deal for ESPN and for Fox and for all the people, the remaining institutions of the Big 12. I guess I guess what do they say? The. The demise of the Big 12 was greatly exaggerated or something of <laughs> yeah. that nature. Is that yes. right? I don't know who Brett Yormark we, did, but this is we, a good do deal. Do we know how many years, though, Mitch? How many years is that deal? I like? had it. I don't have it in front of me. I'm sorry I don't have it. Is it 10? Probably. I'm just trying to figure it out. Have we broken it down to what each team's going to make per year? Yes, we have. I don't have the numbers, but it's substantially more than they made in the last contract with Texas is it, is it, and is Oklahoma. It, is it 50? Yes. It's $50 million a year? Yes. Something well, like that. Yes. Let me just say this. That is a evidence exhibit A, your honor, for what college football is worth. Because you're sitting here talking about a lesser product, at least from a competitive standpoint, than the SEC or the Big 12 or the Big 10. And you're going to spend $50 million for their rights. That tells you how valuable college football is. And while still paltry in comparison to the NFL, gaining on it. And it's great news for college athletics. And Taco Time Northwest loves people that are doing some work. Brett, your mark. The new Big 12 commissioner for signing this deal. The annual average distribution, Rick, comes out to $380 million when the new contract begins in 25-26. That's an average of $31.6 million for the conference's 12 members, not including revenue that comes from the NCAA men's basketball tournament and soon-to-be-expanded college football playoff. The current deal has an average of 220 220 with Texas and Oklahoma goes to 380 without Texas and Oklahoma. And according to Iowa State Athletic Director Jamie Pollard, 
Big 12 schools will get 50 million annually up from the 41 million they currently receive. There you go. That's a home run. Brett Yormark deserves uh, <laughs> a burrito. Hey, taco time. <laughs> Load him up. Because uh, he was doing some. By work. the way, which means if Fox and ESPN have made this commitment to the Big 12, and we know about the commitment to the Big 10, and we know about the commitment to the SEC, where does that leave our buddy Georgie? Georgie from Vegas. Georgie Porgy <laughs> pudding and pie. Are we going hey, to listen, Amazon? I hear they're going to Amazon with the pack. They, they're out there because yeah. the exclusive window opportunity to go with the ESPN boys uh, has come and gone. So it it is very interesting what George Klyovkov's got up his sleeve and how many of this of the uh, current members are there to enjoy what will come of it. It it's it's anybody's guess. My guess, and I don't mean to be negative, but my guess is the Big Twelve got that kind of money because there's less possibility for a future of the Pac twelve. I, I that, that's my guess. Okay. But we'll wait and see. Who is doing some work this week? Yes. Tennessee. The Tennessee Volunteers. And we have been all over Hennon Hooker and Jalen Hyatt and all the offensive guys. How about a defense? A much maligned defense. 129th of 131 schools in the passing game on defense for Tennessee. They hold Kentucky to six points. And they are going to Athens, Georgia to absolutely conquer the world, take over the number one spot in the college football playoff rankings and to hold court until they get to Atlanta. That's where they're headed. That's who was doing some work this Wait last week. Did I the Tennessee, did Tennessee I, volunteers? Are you asking, did I just predict that yes, they'll win the game? Yes. No, I didn't. <laughs> I just said they were doing some work this last weekend. Okay. You tried to pin okay. me down. You tried to pin me down as the, you know, the, the great broadcaster that you are would do. Yeah. You're now, we're now going to move to the segment where I give you my pick, right? Yeah. Your dad is probably sitting there, Rick, you're, you're more than 50%. Five and you three. didn't have to pick last week. And by the way, I would have picked, had you asked me to pick, Yeah, I picked Arkansas. I picked Arkansas this last week and they would have won. So, and they did win. You lost, so, with, I should, I should update people that your last pick with us was the rambling wreck with Georgia Tech of yeah. Georgia Tech. And I think they lost their quarterback against Virginia on a Friday James night. Sims. Early, James early Sims in went the game. down. Yeah, yes. early in the yeah. game, and that was it for you. So you're five and three. You're five out of eight. That's not bad. That wins. That's a winner. Let's go, let's go six and three. Six and three sounds a whole hell of a lot better than five and three. So let's go six and three. So as I look at the lines, I could take Ohio State. They're only laying 38 against Northwestern. <laughs> I, I could take Cincinnati. They're only laying 20 against Navy. How about Illinois giving 16 and a half to best Michigan State? Best defense in the country, right, Illinois? That's to what think they say. that that would have been the line at the beginning of this season, that Illinois would have been giving Michigan State 16 and a half. But I stay clear of there. Okay. I stay clear of there. Okay. Where I go this week, mm -hmm. I'm taking... Kansas State, you just mentioned you were thought they were doing some work. Kansas State is at home against Texas. Texas Ooh. is a three-point favorite in Manhattan, in the Little Apple. I'm taking Texas. Texas on the road, giving oh, three. Oh, giving points. 
Are you- I can't believe it, but I'm taking them because I think Sark, I think Quinn Ewers, I think the entire department after losing on the road at Oklahoma State sitting there going, we have got to find a way to get back in this thing in the month of November because the month of November is the games they'll remember. I think they'll get it done in the Little Apple and the 48 nothing whitewash of Oklahoma State gives Kansas State this abnormal feeling of reality. It's not going to last. What do you think of Sark getting in trouble with the alumni for not about singing? not singing the song? <laughs> as if Sark, as if Sark needs more problems. Right? Uh, why do we have to sing songs after we lose? I don't want to sing paid, a song had after he I paid lose. More attention to Steve Sark uh, to uh, Pete Carroll. Yeah. While under in the tutelage of Pete Carroll, he would have figured out a way to get Geno Smith to play like he's playing and to be in the first place. Listen, Sark. Uh, he, he did the right thing saying it won't happen again. Uh, it won't happen this week. They'll sing the song because they'll win in Manhattan. When I play Monopoly, if I lose, I don't want to sing a song. I could just imagine <laughs> losing a gut-wrenching game. What was it? To Oklahoma State, 41 to 34. Only the academies should have to sing after they lose, right? Jeez, yes. In Navy, yes, Army, yes, we get it. We yes, get it. We we're, get we're there for the song. Don't make right? me sing after don't I make lose. Me sing after Let I me lose. go. I, I'm with you. Can I go back to the locker room and be miserable? <laughs> don't make me sing. Ladies and gentlemen, so your pick officially is Texas. Texas. But I can't let you go. I mean, it is the game of the year in college football. Taking Georgia. Big? I'm taking Georgia big. big. Georgia has the ability to take the air out of the ball. They can run it against Tennessee. They can keep the ball away from Tennessee. And they're so fast defensively at all three levels. They're going to beat uh, okay. Hennon Hooker, who's outstanding. But it's a Georgia kind of day in Athens, Georgia. And then what happens to Tennessee if they win out? They sit there and hope that Alabama beat, they they actually should hope that Georgia beats Alabama, that they can get in that way. Because I don't think three SEC teams are going to get in. There will be just too much acrimony for such a thing. It's hard to believe as I sit here and I listen to you. Let's say Tennessee loses a very close game in Athens to Georgia after beating Alabama, Right. 52-49. They beat Alabama, and then they go to Athens, and they lose to Georgia. Let's say Georgia then runs the table and blows everybody out and wins in the SEC championship game. So you've got a Tennessee team sitting there at the end of the year. Potentially. Tennessee's in then. Tennessee's in then. They're in. Yeah, they're in. Without having but played in the SEC championship game. Just as Alabama got in in okay. years past. Okay. Absolutely. As long as this week's game is competitive. He's Rick Neuheisel, ladies and gentlemen. He was one time the coach of Colorado, the University of Washington, UCLA, uh, the Arizona Hotshots. And as somebody once told Rick Neuheisel, he'll tell me and the rest of our audience, he'll be back, right? <laughs> Next the week. The great Pete Carroll. I'll be back. Okay, Arnold. I got you. <laughs> Thank you, Rick. See you, buddy. It's time for a visit. With Lindsay Schwartz, the CEO of Daniel's Broiler, my favorite spot 
for special occasions. What's going on over there, Lindsay? Hey, Mitch. Great talking to you. Yeah, there's lots going on. Just wrapping up a great remodel at our Bellevue location. We've got Thanksgiving coming up in a few Ooh. weeks. And you know what? I'll even do a plug for Zeke's Pizza, man. We had a uh, we had an office get-together a couple weeks ago. It was amazing. The Dragon Pizza. Uh, <laughs> I had never had it before, and it changed my life. Oh. I, I'm, I'm hooked. I need more. Aren't Bring you it. nice to throw in another sponsor in your time? I'm here on Mitch Unfiltered. Now, my son is a highfalutin busboy at that Bellevue location, and he keeps telling me about the remodel. Give us more specifics, if you would. Yeah, it's great. You know, we opened that location in 1989, so you and I are old enough to, uh, yeah. well, maybe you weren't in town yet, but it's been around a long time. We do kind of a significant remodel about every 10 years or so, and uh, it was time. We did some really cool things in the bar. The back bar has been redesigned. It's a different look. looks great. And I think the most dramatic thing people will notice is the south side of the restaurant. We elevated part of the floor to improve the view. We opened up some walls. It just is great. So to the south, you can see Mount Rainier. To the southwest, you can see downtown Seattle. We're really happy with it. People should come check it out. And then you mentioned Thanksgiving. Some of our audience might say, isn't it a little early to be talking about Thanksgiving? It's never too early to talk about Thanksgiving at Daniel's Broiler because reservations go so fast. It's the biggest single day every year for you over the course of the calendar year, right? Yeah, that's right. It's become that over the last few years, but we open all four locations at noon. We go noon to eight, do a great three-course meal at Leshy, Lake Union, and Bellevue. Uh, we have turkey, of course, but you could also do prime rib, pork roast, plant-based ravioli, or salmon. And then at, uh, at the downtown location, we do a buffet. So it's a little bit different, same basic food, but buffet style. So depending on what you like the best. But yeah, it, it really is the most likely day to sell out that and Valentine's Day. So people should jump on and, and get reservations uh, online or call whatever's easy. All right. Call the restaurant or go online to DanielsBroiler.com. Get your reservations early for Thanksgiving this year at one of the four terrific locations of Daniel's Broiler World Class Steakhouses. Unfiltered. So a couple of weeks ago, I'm playing poker at a local card room, and I overhear two guys talking at the table. They're discussing a documentary on Netflix called Facing Nolan, a film about the inimitable Nolan Ryan. And I'm in disbelief because I'm unaware. So a few days later, I go home, I watch it, and let me tell you something. For a baseball fan like me growing up in the 1970s, the most fantastic 105 minutes you can find. Ladies and gentlemen, the film's director joins us on Mitch Unfiltered, Bradley Jackson. How are you, Bradley? Wait a second. You're too young to even remember <laughs> Nolan Ryan, right? Yeah, but when you when you grow up in Texas and you have a, uh, a you know a sports obsessed father like I did, uh -huh. you are you are it is imprinted on your brain that it's it's Davy Crockett, it's Sam Houston, and it's <laughs> Nolan Ryan. Those are the those are the that's the Mount Rushmore of of Texas right there. So tell me about the reaction. It's been amazing. I don't know about this Rotten Tomatoes thing, but 98% <laughs> and everybody loves this thing. And for good reason, it's fantastic. I can't wait to talk to you about some of the specific elements of it. You must be really 
it must be a really rewarding experience for you. Yeah, it, it really is. Being a being from Texas, uh, being from Houston, growing up, you know, a lifelong Astros fan. You hear about Nolan Ryan, and then obviously, you know, when I was just coming of age, was like at the peak of like his like seven, six and seven no hitters, five thousand strikeouts, and then obviously the Ventura fight, mm-hmm. and then the iconic Bo Jackson bloody bloody lip moment. Mm-hmm. So like you know, those things were always deep down in my heart of like, this guy is, he's the Mount Rushmore of Texas athletes. And I think American athletes. And so getting the chance to make his movie, to tell his story, to earn his trust, to earn his family's trust with the way the movie came about was a bit of a whim. Wasn't really thinking it was going to, you know, as filmmaker, as a filmmaker, you try to, you try to put your cast a wide net, right? Right. And then, you know, when I had the idea of, oh man, no one's done a documentary on Nolan Ryan. Why not? I didn't actually think four months later, I would be sitting in front of Nolan Ryan asking (laughs) questions. So it it just, it just, everything fell into place with this movie. So the reception of it being very positive just kind of has fit in with how this movie's gone. Now, hold on a second. Those four months were not easy. This is much more than a baseball story. It's a love story. And to get the soft-spoken Nolan Ryan, the very modest Nolan Ryan to participate, that's where high school sweetheart and 55-year wife uh, Ruth comes in, right? A little proddy. She not only had to convince him not to quit many, many years ago, she had to convince him to do the film with Bradley Jackson, right? Yeah, pretty much the two best things in his life, playing baseball and my movie. are due to Ruth. No, Ruth, Ryan, and no one will tell you this straight up. He didn't want to do the movie. Not for any reason, not for any personal reasons. I just don't think he likes, well, no, I think he likes some of the attention, but I don't think he seeks it out. He's not somebody who's like, oh, I got to get a movie made about my life. Myself and my producer, both Texas guys, we had made a couple of documentaries in the past that had had some smaller success, but enough to where we were getting a good name And, um, we pitched to his sons and his sons, his two sons were like, we want to do this. We think our dad is, you know, amazing, obviously, but you got to sit, you know, it's going to be a tough sell, but if I can get my mom in the room (laughs) and she buys into it, then there's a chance. So we pitched, we flew, I, I live in Los Angeles now. So I flew to Texas, my producer and I, we pitched to Ruth Ryan, Reed Ryan and Reese Ryan. Mm Mm-hmm the two sons and the wife and Nolan, I didn't know this was literally in the next room in his office. Didn't want to, didn't want to participate. Didn't care. Thought not going to happen, but I guess we did a good job with the pitch. And then a couple weeks later, I heard that he wanted to have a personal conversation with us. And from what I heard during that time, his wife literally sat him down and said, I traveled on the road for you with, with you for 30 years. Yep you are doing this for me and for your kids and for your grandkids. And he said, yes, ma'am. Your story needs to be told. She told him. Yes. And I want, I want generations to come to know about you. And this is a very important. And he agreed to do it. Go back to the point in his career, early in his career, he was wild. I mean, he was wild his whole career, but he was really wild early in his career until he got fixed by a pitching coach in Anaheim And the moment that Ruth, many years younger, had to convince him not to walk away and be a veterinarian. Yeah, no, I mean, Nolan never 
thought baseball would be a career. And he was drafted 14th by the Mets, not 14th overall in the 14th round. So he, the Mets drafted 13 other players before him. And only one of those players played longer than a season. Uh, And then there was Nolan who played the longest of anybody pretty much ever. No, I mean, I think his time with the Mets was occasionally storybook, but was also marred by a lot of inconsistencies. And he was not a starter. He was a reliever going to the angels. He went the year he went into the angels. He was not deemed a threat by anybody. And there was a strike going on at the time. And he had just had his first son. And so he was saying like, look, I played, I got my pension. I played five years. I got a world series ring. I'm done. I'm done. I'm going to go back to Alvin. I'm going to be a vet or be a banker. One of those two things. Yeah. And she literally said like, no, I think you have a chance with this new team, with this growing, struggling team to start. Like that was a thing with the Mets. He couldn't, he couldn't get a start and he couldn't get a consistent start. And so, uh, you know, thankfully he had a great pitching coach, which he never had at the Mets, which is crazy. Now every, every pitcher has five coaches for them. You know, Mm -hmm. he had a guy take interest in him and fixed a couple of things. And then he just took off one very simple thing. Tell, tell everybody. And it's well-documented in the film. Yeah. There were definitely multiple things, but the main thing that his catcher that we latched onto as filmmakers, that his catcher, he would just fall off the mound. He wouldn't, he wouldn't stay straight. And it was, you know, you know, there's a great story too, where, where Nolan helped fix Randy Johnson's mechanics later in life. And it's all with pitchers. They all have the ability. It's just these little adjustments. And, you know, he just gave him this small little adjustment, a couple other things. And then he became the guy that we know. Bradley, typically a documentary like this needs controversy. <laughs> it needs conflict. It needs darkness. Yeah. But that just doesn't exist really with Nolan Ryan. So what makes him so damn interesting in your opinion? It's a great question. I feel like that was something his son Reed talked to me early on. It was just like, dad doesn't have a drug scandal. He doesn't have a, he lost his, his brother in a fire story. Like, right. right. He doesn't have a gambling problem like Michael Jordan or, you know, like it's one of those things where the first day of filming I'm about to interview Nolan and I'm scared out of my mind. Cause I don't know. I, I don't know what this movie is. Mm-hmm. And I just sat there and, I, and it popped into my head. This is a tall tale and tall tales. Don't usually have a lot of conflict. They just are kind of like, Oh, this is happening. You know, Jack, yeah. it's uh, Paul Bunyan, you know, these kinds of things. And I was like, if we can, first of all, one, if we can surround him with enough interesting people. So that's why we go for, we get Randy Johnson, we get George Bush, you get Roger Clemens. You get Pete Rose. All of those guys are fascinating. Incredible. And so you create this chorus of voices around Nolan to build him up. And then two, kind of treat it like it's a, like you're sitting around a campfire and somebody's like, let me tell you the legend of Nolan Ryan. That's why we wanted to do this, this McConaughey inspired voiceover mm-hmm. um, that kind of like gets you in. And then we play with convention. We say, where did he get his throwing arm from? Well, the legend has it. It's this, but then we undercut that by telling you right. it's actually, he just, skip, you know, because Nolan Ryan at the end of the day, he sounds like a legend, but he's just a guy, but what he's done has become more than just what one man could do. Bradley was his lowest moment ever on the mound. The 1980 national league championship series game five. It was a best of five. So it's the, it's the ultimate game, the deciding game. He's got a three run lead. 
in the eighth on the Phillies. There was an incredible at bat by Pete Rose, who's in your film. Mm-hmm. By the way, Pete Rose, I think, hit about 400 against Nolan Ryan in his career, which is amazing. But yeah. he blows the three-run lead. He gets pulled from the game. The Phillies win and go on to win the world championship. Was that the lowest spot for him outside of what we'll talk about at the end, which was 1993 right here in the kingdom in Seattle. Yeah. Nolan Ryan is about as stoic as it gets as a, as a, as a man can get. Mm -hmm. And the only two times I ever saw him even show a hint of emotion about his baseball career was that eighties playoff game. And then obviously the, the final game he played. Those are the only two moments where like I would ask him about his seventh no hitter and he would tell me about it as if he was telling me a story about going to the bank that day. He he get no emotion, just like, yep, I did good and it was a good day. But with the eighties playoff game, yeah, he, he still wishes I think he still wishes he could have that one back. He was pitching on short rest, by the way, I should point out. Yeah. Nolan Ryan will forever be attached to numbers. I don't know that there's ever been a player, including Hank Aaron. Mm-hmm. in baseball history that's been more kind of associated with a few numbers than Nolan Ryan. There's obviously the number seven, seven no-hitters. There's the number 383, which I think still stands today, strikeouts mm-hmm. in a season. There's yes. the number 5,714 career strikeouts, which is like a 1,000 more than anybody else. There's that 109 mile an hour pitch when I was a kid that everybody knew about, which people right. now say was more like 108 if it was yeah. legitimate. Which of those three or four numbers in your estimation is quintessential Nolan Ryan? Seven? No seven. hitters? Yeah. It's seven because it's just such a a no hitter is such a remarkable thing. We'll never see seven get broken. Never see because they don't pitch. They come out in the sixth and seventh inning now. To me, seven is the iconic number. Well, here's the thing about seven. I don't know how much of a golf guy you are, but Jack Nicholas, mm-hmm. Jack Jack Nicholas won 18 majors, mm-hmm. which will never be broken unless Tiger Woods somehow gets it. It's never going to be broken. But what people right. don't know about Jack Nicholas is he finished second 19 times. So there's 37 either first or seconds in majors and no hitters. He's not only got seven, Nolan, don't forget, he's got 12 one hitters too. Right. And those are complete game one hitters. Yes. There was a stat. I, I keep going back to Verlander just because obviously I'm an Astros fan and, and he's having a, such a career year. But like when Verlander threw his one hitter, he tied for second with number of no hitters going into the eighth inning. I see. He's tied with Randy Johnson for second place. They have eight, eight no hitters going into the eighth inning. Do you know how many Nolan Ryan has going into the eighth inning? No. 24. <laughs> triple. Oh. Triple the amount. Oh. It's just crazy. And the last one. Tell the short anecdote about the last one. He's like 44 years old, 43 years old. Yeah. His back locks up at him in warm-ups yeah. or before warm-ups. They've got a guy warming up in the bullpen. Yeah. In the first inning, don't they? Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I, inter- I remember when I interviewed Tom House, the legendary pitching coach who, yeah. who kind of helped transform Nolan in his 40s. Tom said it was the ugliest pregame warm-up he's ever seen a pitcher throw. And he just said, like, he's like, this guy's not going to make it past the first inning. Something's wrong. Like, he had a back problem. As Tom says, like, the superstars can go to that extra level. 
and Nolan is a superstar. And he just, Tom said within the first inning, the first inning he goes, he's got it. There's no doubt about it. Something switched. I don't know if it was adrenaline. I don't know if it was mental, but the fact that he then at the age of 44 threw a no doubter, no hitter. I mean, just it's mind blowing. The name of the uh, film is Facing Nolan. Bradley Jackson is our guest, the director. It's so well done. There's a myriad of greats that participated, and that part of it is fantastic. I love, I have to mention here in Seattle, I love that Randy Johnson agreed to do it because they are similar in a lot of ways. He's kind of the left-hand version a few mm-hmm. years later of Nolan, he had that intimidation factor and all the strikeouts. And he's, he's I think, second on the all-time strikeout list. Good mm-hmm. to have Randy. He kind of added a nice layer to your show. Yeah, Randy was a top interview for me, hands down. I think, one, because like Nolan, I was intimidated by him walking into the room. Right. And then within five minutes, it's like you're talking to a buddy. And I think obviously we're talking to, to Randy Johnson about one of his heroes, but also, you know, Nolan Ryan genuinely helped Randy Johnson become Randy Johnson. We tried to include it in the film. It just, it, it took too much time. It was a little bit of a detour, but there's a legendary story about Randy was struggling. Tom yeah. House, right? Randy and, and they were playing the Rangers and Randy told me we're walking down the hallway. I passed Nolan and Nolan just says, Hey, how's it going? And I, I just broke down and I said, I'm not good. I, I, I'm not doing well. I can't figure out what's wrong with me. And Nolan said, why don't you show up at 6 a.m. tomorrow? Me and my coach, Tom, will watch you throw a bullpen and we'll see if we can help you. And he said within 20 minutes of the bullpen, Tom and Nolan diagnosed these little, these little things. He said the next time the Rangers faced the, uh, the Mariners, I think he said uh, Randy threw eight innings and struck out 15 <laughs> and it threw a shutout or something like that. So it just, you know, yeah. turned his career around. So Randy was incredible. He was one of my favorite interview subjects. And then Bradley, there's Robin Ventura, the Robin Ventura fight, which has yeah. become, I don't want to say the centerpiece. It's, it's, it's unimaginable that a guy could have a career that Nolan Ryan had. And yet you ask people about Nolan Ryan and inevitably yeah. Robin Ventura is one of the first names to come to mind. First of all, talk about the internal conversation with the whether with yourself or with your crew as to how we're going to handle this and where are we putting it in the movie? Are we putting it at the top? Are we putting it in the middle? Are we bearing it? How are we going to do it? Talk about that and then we'll get to Robin declining to participate and if you ever felt like you had a chance to get him to speak on camera. Yeah. So I knew we needed to include it uh, near-ish the end because one, it is such a late in life, late in his career moment. He was near the very, like he pitched maybe, I think six, seven more games. And then, and then um, that was it. It's just such a, the audience knows it's coming. So the longer I think we can tease it, mm-hmm. delay it, mm-hmm. I think it's good. We don't want it, to, and it's not something that ends the movie because it's too funny. Um, and you want to end with a little gravitas and a little, you know, heart and warmth. And then regarding Robin, we tried, I wrote him a letter. We had multiple connections to him through various people that were helping us. And most people that I talk to say he's a great guy. There's no, and he doesn't, 
necessarily despise talking about this, but I don't think he likes talking about it. And it was just one of those things where we tried, we tried, we tried, we tried. We never got a definitive no, but we tried every which way you could try and got no response from people who were dear friends of his. How about Nolan? Nolan didn't want to, I didn't feel, I didn't feel right about having Nolan ask him just because that's a very loaded ask. Uh I don't think Nolan would have done it, but Nolan has no hard feelings. And Nolan straight up, you know, like when Nolan was a part owner of the Rangers and then Robin was the manager of the White Sox, they had a long conversation and Nolan told the Rangers, don't ever show that clip ever again while I'm, while I'm a manager, just cause I, I respect Robin and whatever, but you, know, you got to talk about it sure. in the movie. Sure. And then, you know, as a filmmaker, I know every, if I don't acknowledge that he declined to be interviewed, <laughs> everyone will ask me, well, why didn't he, why didn't you interview Robin? So it gets a huge laugh every time, but like, it was a purely out of necessity. I had to include it. How about some background that people don't remember or don't know? Two two elements that I'd like you to chat about. Mm-hmm. First of all, the Winfield incident years earlier, and then the White Sox clubhouse deal between the players mm-hmm. that I'm not sure people know about that left Robin Ventura between a rock and a hard place on whether he was going to charge the mound. Yeah, the Winfield incident is amazing because one, it took place 13 years to the date of the Ventura incident. It literally happened on the same exact day. 13 years? 13 years exactly to the date. And it's just such a, first of all, Dave Winfield is a legend and an icon. And we got, we obviously got to talk to him about it, which was incredible for the film. But it really was, It's the origin of how Nolan decided he would ever handle that again. Tell people what happened with Winfield. Yeah. So Winfield, he hits, he doesn't hit Winfield, but he, he buzzes him several times and Winfield who is six, 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 eight, somewhere, you know, gets pissed and charges Nolan and Dave Winfield charging you versus Robin Venturi charging you is a big difference. (laughs) And Dave Winfield, you could tell was like, I'm going to beat the crap out of this guy. And Nolan looks scared. I mean, I would be scared. Anybody would be scared if Dave Winfield was charging you. And it just, you could tell Nolan's defensive. He's protecting his hands. And it's just like not a good moment for anybody. They asked him about it afterwards. And Nolan just said, if I'm ever charged again, I'm not going to play. I'm not going to protect myself because that does, that actually is worse. So he just said, if, if anybody ever charged me again, I'm going to charge them immediately. Okay. Nobody, nobody dares to charge Nolan for 13 years. And then uh, I guess the White Sox and the Rangers had a lot of bad blood and there was a bounty on Nolan's head that if he hits you and you don't charge the mound, it's going to cost you 500 bucks. So Nolan hits Robin Ventura, Robin, young guy. Don't think he wants to charge the mound. You can look in his eyes. He starts to first base. Yeah. He starts yeah. to first base and kind of thinks about it for a half a yeah. second. Yep. He realizes he's got to do it. And then he charges and yep. he, that little bit of hesitation gave Nolan all the advantage. And then the rest is uh, the rest, as they say, is history. Who else didn't do the film that you would have liked to have in? I would think that I would have thought Bo Jackson would have. You been know, Bo, Bo, we never we tried. um Bo was, uh, was open, but he just, he lived in Alabama and it was kind of, we, we had to be very strategic about how we could 
you know, we had a limited budget in certain elements. And so Bo never turned us down, but we never really, the only person other than Robin, only person that, that respectfully declined was Sandy Koufax, oh. Oh. which he never, yeah, he never does interviews. I know. So we, we understood that one. And he, he gave us a very lovely like email that just said, I don't do interviews, all the respect for Nolan in the world, but good luck. Yeah. It was, I mean, pretty, it was a pretty much a dream. Everybody said yes, other than Robin and Sandy Koufax. Which brings us to the end, which was September 22nd, 1993. You said it's one of the two times he got emotional with you guys, Nolan Ryan. Right here in the Kingdom, he had given up a grand slam, I think, in the first inning of that start. Dave Magadan is in the batter's box, and Pop goes the arm. It just was, I think... He really wanted to finish that season. I think he had two to three more starts left for him. And the game he had just pitched before, five days before, was against the Angels. And he pitched a great game. I think he pitched, you know, five and a half innings and only gave up one or two runs, had like six or seven strikeouts. And, you know, it was a great, you know, fine. He was kind of on his farewell tour. And just was, you know, had a rough season. You know, he's almost 47 at this time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He just knew going into that first inning that he didn't really, he wasn't, he wasn't good, but he normally could normally could work through a lot of that stuff. And he just said, you know, once he gave up the grand slam, I think he, he knew that something was really off. And then the next, I think the next pitch he threw, he knew that he had done something. And he said he wanted to throw one more pitch to just see. And the second he threw that last pitch, he knew it was, he knew what it was. And by the way, that last pitch was 90, 97 miles an hour. Oh, geez. Still great ovation from the Mariners crowd. Yeah. I, we interviewed Pudge Rodriguez, who was obviously catching for him that day. And Pudge said it was, Pudge said he got emotional because it was just like, this guy's a legend and he's, he knew that's that's the last time he's ever going to tow the rubber again. Mm. And uh, he said the the Seattle fans just gave him the best ovation. You know, we don't include it in the film, but Randy Johnson said he he walked into the dugout or walked into the trainer's room after and just said it was really emotional. What a great film. What a great effort by you guys. It's not seven no hitters, <laughs> but it's uh, it's really, really good. It's yeah. an hour and 45 minutes, 105 minutes. It's called Facing Nolan. You can mm-hmm. find it everywhere, Netflix, wherever it is that you stream. His name is Bradley Jackson. Good enough to be with us on Mitch Unfiltered. Thank you, Bradley. What a great pleasure it is to, to meet you, to chat with you, and I look forward to the next project. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mitch. Appreciate it. Zeke's Pizza President Dan Black. Dapper Dan Black is back with us. How are you, Dan? I'm doing good. We're back to Dapper. We're back to Dapper. And it's the heart of football season. And when I think of football season, pizza goes well with watching football. You guys have specials at Zeke's. It's a, it's a good time of the year, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I think I'm like everybody else, and it's my favorite time of year for sports. And lots of football all the time, fantasy football, Seahawks. Zeke's is a key part of that for me, I think, like a lot of people. And whether I'm posting up at the bar watching a game or, mm-hmm. or getting it delivered. Yeah, there's specials going on all the time. It depends on location. So the best thing to do is just jump onto our website, find your location and see what's going on. A little behind the scenes here with the recording of these chats. I said to Dan before we started, what's going on? And you told me it's 
fresh hop season. And Mitch Levy said, what the hell is fresh hop season? (laughs) Mitch Levy, not a beer guy. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, for beer geeks and just beer enthusiasts and people that are paying attention to the Northwest local beer scene, fresh hops, a special time of year. You know, it's harvest season, and that includes hops, which is one of the main ingredients of beer, particularly for people that like IPAs and stuff. And so what fresh hop beers are is they harvest the hops and right off the vine, they throw them into the brew kettle. And so Ah. these beers have a really hoppy taste. They taste really fresh. They're seasonal. They're only around really for a few weeks. And so people get excited about them and we're right in the heart of it right now. And Zeke's does beer as good as anybody, particular local Northwest beer. And so you can go into most Zeke's right now and find three of the four best fresh hop beers in the Northwest. And that's not the only thing that people are excited for. Kraken hockey has returned for a second season it's underway and that brings up belltown for pre and post game celebrations yes oh yeah the belltown zeke's bar is cracking headquarters for sure uh we fill up before every game it's super festive and fun everybody's got their cracking gear on we've got great beer going pizza and beer are a great way to fuel up for the cracking so yeah no we love it it's super fun when the cracking are going and the answer to the trivia question the first ever out of state location of Zeke's Pizzas coming soon. Boise, Idaho. We love Zeke's. Great partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Episode 212 continues with the other stuff. We do this every single episode. We start with the the tease, then the the guts of the show in segment one, then three interview segments, and now we just fire off other stuff. But you had something that you wanted to start with, and it's not... Yes, it is other. It counts as other stuff. Yeah, it's just a bizarre tweet. A bizarre tweet. I don't really understand. Maybe you can help me understand what he's talking about. Sure. He says, I'm unfollowing you. Ooh. Due to all the political garbage that appears on my feed, Uh-oh. now that it entirely connected to you. I'm reading it the way he wrote it. I, th- I, I don't know. I look forward to hearing you on Unfiltered, and maybe after elections, I'll follow you again. What is he talking about? I don't, I don't know. I don't tweet anything political ever for this reason. He's mixing you up with somebody else. Am I responsible for all the ads on TV, too, that we're all sick know. of? Maybe Producer Steve. He's got you and Producer Steve mixed up. Yeah, because Steve loves to talk about politics yeah, and that well, stuff. he sure does. I, I don't... I stay at, you'd be hard pressed to find anything but for the this reason. The guy's got you mixed up from so It's already Jerkowitz. He's going to be 90 this what year. What is he talking about? I don't have any idea. So I was curious and I, I went to his account. Yeah. He's commenting towards Obama. He, he Because he doesn't like your politics or the person yep. that he's confusing you with. But he's he's replying to the president, AOC. Yes. Maybe that's the reason why. Yes. I don't know. I'm no Twitter expert. But Well, he's I, listening right now. Talk to the why guy. Why is he blaming me? I don't understand. What Say, do I why do? Why are you blaming me? He's, he's listening right now. I talk you. about John Ham's wiener. I don't talk about politics <laughs> on Twitter. I mean, good Lord. You can't blame me for that. I don't uh, get it. Follow me back. I need a ruling. Okay, I'm ready. How are we handling the Tom Brady-Giselle divorce? We can go a lot of different ways. You want irreverence, you want humor, you want seriousness. Are we taking shots? Are we giggling at his expense and their expense? I was getting ready for episode 212 and I just didn't know exactly the way, the tenor on Unfiltered that we want to use when discussing the now complete divorce of Giselle and Tom Brady. I can just tell you, I'm kind of surprised at myself because I have rooted against Tom Brady for damn near half of my life. Right, yeah. 
And yet, I don't know. There's something about this that feels sad to me. I know they got all the money in the world. I know they got all the fame and all the everything they'd ever want. And they're going to be happier. And they're each going to get married again or have a... There's something about this. You know, mm. I look at him on these post-game interviews like Thursday night and yeah. what have you. And I see a guy... Does he look terrible to you? He looks different, for sure. He looks totally like dark almost circles yes, and gone. He looks emaciated. Yeah, he looks yeah. like he's lost. He's lost weight that he shouldn't be. He looks. Ter- this was the most handsome human being that ever was on anybody's TV outside of John Hamm. That's right. Yeah, and he. I mean, fit as a fiddle, eating right. It's painful to me. And then there's the other part, the obvious other part. There are kids involved. Well, of course, yeah. There are young kids involved. That's right. Yeah. And that can't be. I mean. Put kids through a divorce is one thing. Put kids through the most high-profile divorce of all time, right. or at least in sports, is another thing. I don't know. I, I I'm having trouble coming up with my old, my old, my <laughs> irreverent, humorous, serious self. I, I don't know. I don't know how to I have, handle. I have trouble giggling at it. Yes. I, it's tough for me. Maybe because I'm waiting for a wallet to be returned to me by a good Samaritan <laughs> at some point. And maybe Tom Brady will find it and won't return it if he hears. That's right. Because we're doing much better than him in the, in, in the wallet department. But he yeah, just it's, it's looks it, terrible. I know. It is sad. It's just kind of sad. It to is. Me, though. And and if it's true that that this all went south no, because I don't think he it did couldn't stay, yeah. say no to football? I don't believe You think that. it's more than that? It's got to be. We're only getting part of the story. Yeah, that's true. I just want to know if he's going to go out and be Tom. Remember how John Lennon had like that the lost weekend that turned into like two years where he just went to L.A. and was just being John Lennon and enjoying the perks that come along with that? Is Tom Brady going to go to a bar in, in like the New England area and just be Tom Brady and Oh, imagine what oh, oh. being Tom Brady. <laughs> Single in a so bar. There, so oh, there you go. So God. we're making so now we're laughing. Well, I'm kind of, you know, looking for a, a silver lining. At least he gets to go out and be single Tom Brady and take advantage of those perks. But yeah, the whole thing is sad to me. It really is. I think she was good for him, like health wise and kind of help him stay in shape. And he, She kind of helped him maybe bring him out of his shell. Remember, he was... Oh, yeah. And yeah. maybe that's just the Tampa thing, leaving New England, leaving yeah, Bill Belichick in the shadows of the, the Patriots. But he went from this kind of always winning, say nothing, yeah. not humorous, nothing enjoyable guy to going to Tampa and still winning and being funny and self-deprecating yeah, yeah. and having a sense of humor and... You see Antonio Brown trolling the hell out I'm of him sure, for some reason. I'm sure Antonio Brown is anybody that he can bring down to miserable status yeah. like himself. He's posting pictures of him, of Antonio hugging Giselle after the Super Bowl, you know, in a big embrace. He's like trolling. Tom. Didn't Tom Brady like put him up for a while? I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. If there's one guy I'm going to ignore. <laughs> Fine. If Kanye there t- West. <laughs> if there, well, yeah. Kyrie Irving. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I guess there's a few people I'd like to ignore. <laughs> That's right. There's more Antonio Brown, I think, is probably one of them. Yeah. He's on the list. He's on the list to ignore. I would agree. All right. So are we not making fun of Tom Brady? And I can't. You're welcome to. No, Other people gonna. are welcome to. No, it's I'm just sad. It's just tough for me. Yeah. All right. Do you want me to give you a quick funny story that I that I read? John McDonough was driving his cab in New York. Sean or John? This guy's name's John. Okay. A uh, different person. Yes. Driving his cab in New York at 4 a.m. In 2013, he picked up Shane Gaffney. Now, this Shane Gaffney guy was a Dublin resident who realized he doesn't have any any cash to cover to cover the cab fare. Oh. So he, he, he told the cab driver, he goes, look, I, I own a bar in Dublin. Yeah. And he told the driver, if you ever get to Ireland, I will buy you pints, all the pints of Guinness you can handle. I'm sorry I don't have cash to cover this right. Yeah. Smash cut to nine years later, the cab driver shows up at the bar 
where the guy still owns it and took him up on his offer, (laughs) which I just absolutely, nine years later. Now, he told the guy he was coming. He somehow tracked him down. I'm on my way. Yeah, that's right. Nine years later, he finally makes it to Ireland, and the guy just plied him with all the Guinness he could handle for covering his Uh, cab there that one night in 2013. I just love that story. Do we care about the World Series? Yeah, sure, I do. I mean, it does it feel like everyone outside of Houston is just rooting against? Of course, yeah. of course. So, but Phillies is tough for me too, because you know, and we, I know people from there, and I always root for their demise and everything. So it's tough for me to root for Philly. But well, there's one in particular. Well, yeah. There, <laughs> when I when I was on the T-Bed show, I used to tell him I was the the leader of the Philadelphia Failure Society. I root for everything against Philadelphia. I used to drive him crazy. Because he takes it so damn serious. <laughs> so anyway, I have to root for the Phillies, which is tough. But yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Uh, yeah. You're watching it? Yeah. Did you watch the first two games? Yeah. The first one was great. Second one, not so much. But yeah, the first one was awesome. Yeah, they hammered Justin Verlander. The Phillies did, just yeah. kind of like the Mariners did in game one. Yep. Well, you got the you got the World Series. How about the, the name being floated about as part of the potential new ownership group of the Phoenix Suns? Have you been paying attention? No. Well, you know the story. Robert Sarver is the owner. Okay. He turns out he's the world's worst human being, got in a lot of trouble, said some really bad That's things, right. yeah. treated people horrifically, and the NBA is pushing him to sell. Not pushing him, telling him he's got to sell. So he, the, the Phoenix Suns and the WNBA team in the, in the Phoenix area, uh-huh. they're up for sale. Okay. And there's going to be ownership groups all over the place. I think the going rate's going to be about $4 billion. <sighs> okay. Everybody everybody snickered at Stevie Ballmer for paying $2 billion for the Clippers. Yeah, right. The Suns are going to be up for sale just a few years later. This isn't 50 years later. It's like... Six years later, whatever it is, $4 billion for, is the Good going Lord. rate. Um, you have not seen the name that's being floated as part of an ownership group. No. He's not the money because he doesn't have that kind of money, okay. but he's the face. All right. President Barack Obama. Wow. Interesting. Yes. He's got a couple dollars, I guess, right? Yeah. Not, not, not nah. pro sports ownership type money. No, but yeah, yeah. no, 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 Interesting. no, no. No, he's apparently, the reports are, he's not confirmed it. He's apparently gotten into a uh, a relationship with one of the bidders or the soon-to-be bidders of the Phoenix Suns. Wouldn't it be cool if Barack Obama yes. was the face of an NBA team? That's just amazing. I think that would be great. That'd be really cool. That'd yeah. be really, really good. Although the guy that tweeted me, he didn't care for that at all. The guy that tweeted me earlier, no, he he doesn't he doesn't want to see that. He's not going to be happy. No, no, not happy at all. Talking about no, no, no. Our old buddy Sark is in a little bit of trouble. Did you see that? No, he is. At least, well, there's people disappointed. I would say trouble. People are disappointing, disappointed in him for something that he didn't do ten days ago after a game. Okay, he lost to Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State beat Texas in a hard, hard fought, tough game, and apparently. Texas Longhorn tradition state that after every game, win or lose, you sing the fight song. Mm. He did not sing the fight song. <laughs> Couldn't be bothered. He, huh? he, he ran off the field <laughs> into the locker room. I guess his oh. team followed him and everybody was mad. And he came out with a quote, as you know, I owe an apology to Longhorn Nation. I made a mistake at the end of the game and not singing the eyes of Texas, which, by the way, some deem as a racially insensitive song goes back to way back when when the game was done it was not anything intentional that was not anything that had to do with our players i think our players just followed me up the ramp and into the rock into the locker room obviously upset about the way the game ended i apologize to everybody for that it won't happen again first of all 
It's a racist song. Second of all, <laughs> really? I'm, I'm forced to sing a song know, after right? a 41 to 34 yeah. loss Dumb to a rival? Yeah, right. I mean, I get the Army-Navy thing. The Army-Navy thing transcends animal. college of football course. and sports. That's right. It's about something a lot more important yep. than football. But this is the eyes of, what is it called? What did I tell the you? eyes the, of Texas, I think. Come, I got to sing. Okay. <laughs> This reminds me of an old picture. Okay. And I don't have the picture to show you, so this is probably going to fall flat, this story. But when I was a kid, there was a Polaroid picture taken by my father. Okay. I probably was about five years old. My two brothers were about 11 and 12. Okay. If I have that right. Okay. And there was this Saturday... Don't ask me that we all got hurt. Somebody took an elbow. One of my brothers took an elbow to the eye and his eye was shut. Oh, the other guy got his nose broken. Jeez. His nose was bigger than even it was supposed to be. <laughs> and I burned my and I like burned my my leg on a pipe. Really? It, yes. Yes. It all happened. It was a, it was the Saturday from hell. And my dad thought the, after later in the day, thought the whole thing was so funny. He made us take pictures. Yeah. Smile. <laughs> Smile. He made us take these Polaroid pictures, and the Polaroid exists to this my, day. To this day, my one brother like forcing a smile, oh, and he's, his eye is bloodshot and closed. Right, right. The other one's nose is crooked. He smiles, <laughs> and I'm like cr trying to cry. He, he made us smile. That's what this reminds me of. You're right. Yeah. Okay. The guy just lost a game. Why does he have to sing? Right. If you look, we're gonna sing. If you'd like to, you're welcome to. If you don't want to, you don't have to. Can we do away with this yeah. nonsense? I know. He's got to sing, and now he's got to apologize. For being swept up in a 41-34 loss right. to an arch rival and running off the field? Really? I mean, do you want your coach out there singing after a loss? No, Sean Alexander would sing. Yeah, exactly. Don't you want That's him? That's like, who would sing. You want him watching film two seconds after the game and figure out what the hell happened on singing the I song. Don't, I want my coach being pissed. That's right. That's I want right. my coach, you know, rattling off F-bombs as he goes down the tunnel yeah. to the locker room. I don't want him stopping and singing a sweet Eyes of Texas song. <laughs> right, it's not karaoke time. I got to go watch the film. This is ridiculous. Yeah, stupid. Yeah, anyway. I'm kind of with Sark. Okay. Your buddy Jake Paul... He went toe-to-toe -to -toe with uh, Anderson Silva and won. I don't know who Anderson Silva is, but I know Jake Former Paul. UFC champ. Okay. Total badass, but this okay. was a boxing match, of All course. Right. All right. So now he says he wants to go up against Canelo Alvarez. Oh, I know him. Uh, yeah, he's pretty good. Yeah. Or Nate Diaz. I'm not sure. Who, Nate Diaz, a boxer or UFC? I don't know. I don't know. So he, he grabbed the mic after the win saying, Diaz is a bitch, and he'd oh, love Jesus. to add him to his list of victims. Jesus. Taunting him. He also went after Canelo saying he wants a piece of the boxing champ. Jake Paul is 6-0 and as a professional boxer. And every time he fights, I say, someone's going to knock his block off. And that no one ever does. Well, he never fights anybody of real substance like but Canelo. I, I didn't think it would take a Canelo to beat him. I mean, he's never fought before. He's a YouTuber. But the, the, the minute he gets in there against an accomplished guy like this... He'll get killed. I mean, Anderson Silva's not a boxer, but he's no punk. Anderson Silva's a badass. I don't know who Anderson Silva is. UFC so. guy, but yeah, anyway. So if he fights, Can no way Canelo's going to take All right, I got fight. a few. The great one is in some hot water. Okay. Wayne Gretzky. Yeah, familiar. And his wife, you know, his wife, Janet. Sure. Been slapped with a second mega lawsuit over a business deal gone south back oh, in boy. August. Wayne was sued for $10 million by a man named Stephen Sparks, who was the creator of a weight loss gum. In the... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. 
In the suit, Steven said he developed a natural gum to manage your weight. That's all it takes after all these years. Oh, my God. He named the product <laughs> OMG Gum. I, I, I can't make this stuff up. Oh. And he hired Wayne's wife, Janet. And then Wayne said something like, I've lost 35 pounds on this gum. Well, it turns out he was lying. Of course, yeah. And Nonsense. they're up in a lawsuit. And this is not... I've heard... I, I don't want to get into it because I, this is totally... It's a, it's a little bit of hearsay. I, I just heard... I've heard negative things about, especially his wife. What's her maiden name? She was... Jones. Is it Janet Jones? Janet Jones, I think it was. Flamingo Kid? Mm. Was she in the Flamingo Kid with Richard Crenna? Do I have that right? I may have the wrong guy. Flamingo Kid, I thought it was Matt Dillon. Matt Dillon, yeah. yeah. Maybe, was not Richard Crenna not in it? Uh, maybe, I don't know. But Flamingo I, Kid was Matt Dillon, I know that. Anyway, yeah. so what have you heard about... I just have heard some... I've heard some negative stuff about okay. the way those guys go about their business. But uh, really, yeah, yeah, Janet Jones, you were correct. That didn't sound right for some. Janet reason. Jones, uh, yeah, she was. As a matter of fact, good call. Okay. God, of all the things, you was remember. Richard Crenna in Flamingo Kid? Oh, I got to do all the work. Yes, you do. I just remember Matt Dillon. Well, Matt being Dillon on the was cover a star of, of Flamingo Kid. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, Richard Crenna, you're as a matter of fact, <laughs> Hector Elizondo and Jessica Walter. Uh, of course, I remember Hector Elizondo, the Flamingo Kid, the Flamingo Kid. Yes, directed by Gary Marshall. Oh, sure, of all people. <laughs> <laughs> All right, there you All go. Right. Everybody's dropping Kanye West. Oh, he's it's toast, been a, it's yeah. been a tough road for Kanye. Poor Kanye. I, I'm hearing he's <sighs> not a billionaire anymore. Yeah, I saw that too. Talent agencies, marketing firms, social media titans, Hollywood bigwigs, all running in the opposite direction because of his notorious anti-Semitic rant. He wants to go DeathCon three on all Jewish people, and then he says that wasn't that's not anti-Semitic. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he doesn't know what that that term means. Maybe someone needs to send it. I mean, you know, Antonio Brown. I I think that there's like some like there's some medication that needs to be involved with these, these two. Like there's something going on upstairs that's like I'd use another shun. I'd say education instead of medication. I mean, there's something going on, right? I mean, it's not just education. I mean, he's there's some mm-hmm. mental issues going on. There has to be to say some of the crap that he's saying now to throw. He's like throwing it all away, and for what? I don't think he's throwing it all away. He's throwing a portion of it away for sure. People are running for the hills, though. I mean, he's going to be just fine. Um, So you've got Kanye, you've got Kyrie Irving. Yeah. Now you got the signs at the uh, at the Florida Georgia game. Yeah. Tell me what those said. You know, something like Kanye is right or trust Kanye Uh, or something like that. And then the other one that I had, and this is not this is not about anti-Semitism. This is James Corden. Yeah. Is it me or every time do I turn around, do I do I read about him being a really bad guy? Complete a-hole from the reports at restaurants, yes. Oh, really? Oh, from the reports at restaurants. So you have the same thing. Yeah. But but I thought this is going back years that there's been like rumblings beneath the surface that this guy is just really, really a nasty guy. That's what I was reading as well. From, oh, you have? From firsthand okay. accounts of people who've waited on him. Multiple so, restaurants have reported Is it just this. restaurants? I thought it was like his staff. Well, that, that's all I've read, but yeah. it may be deeper. I mean, you know, I told you before, before it all broke, that I'm guessing Ellen wasn't dancing at home. You know what I mean? You know, she would dance. I, yeah. It felt a little... And with, Fake? A little bit. Same, yeah. same with this guy. You know, he loves the... Have you seen Carpool Karaoke? I have, yes. It's actually a pretty good idea. Very it's, good idea. He had Barbara Streisand on. I actually saw that one. I yes. mean, it's, a, it's as much as he annoys me, it's a yes. really good bit. Yeah. But something tells me he's not that happy-go-lucky guy outside of the camera, and now it's starting to Well, come here's on. my question, and it's the obvious question. 
How miserable of a person do you have to be to scream at a restaurant worker? Unbelievable. I mean, imagine that. I mean, we've all been, <laughs> we've all had terrible restaurant experiences. Right. Correct? Of course. Which one of us is literally screaming at restaurant workers? Screaming at the top of our lungs. I can't remember screaming at anyone. Ever. In, well, I can. Like in the, <laughs> is he 5'5"? Five, five? <laughs> But, but I mean, just to, just I've to, screamed over to the years. scream at a, a stranger, essentially, who's helping you, a restaurant worker, people with getting food that you're going to put in your they're mouth, I being mean, paid minimum wage, putting their cigarettes out underneath your sandwich. I what mean, do you you? There's also restaurant managers that have come out in defense of their staff, too. So it's not just a disgruntled server here and there that not that they shouldn't be believed, but you know, it's also like management have come yeah. out and said, owners. This, this is true. Yeah. Yes. Owners. Like yeah. he's a bad, he's treats people horribly at restaurants. Yeah. I know. And, so and what weird. kind of an idiot do you have to be? If you're a star of that magnitude and you have celebrity yeah. to not know that if I scream at somebody oh. at a restaurant in Manhattan, right. if the footage of it's not on the internet, <laughs> yeah. It's certainly going to be reported and everybody's going to find out. You have to be the biggest idiot of all time. But you'll have eight different angles. You can choose whatever angle you want to watch the tirade from when everyone pulls out. You would their think phones. that he would say to himself, okay, I got I can't, I can't do anything. Of course. Objectionable. God. I mean, it tells you what kind of person he is. If he still doesn't care, he's still just prepared to yell at Well, him. he has gone on his television show and apologized. Oh, he did. Okay. Yeah, he did a whole thing. So he's taken complete accountability and responsibility. Okay, well, that's something. So apparently there was a little fire where that smoke was. Then. Well, yeah. Oh, well, the owner came out and said he's not allowed ever to the restaurant again. I think he retracted that he eventually. Did. Yeah. He did after Corden apparently called him, okay. apologized, apologized to the wait person, and then went on the show and, and did a spiel about it. You really have to, I mean, you don't know that that's inappropriate behavior where you, you now have to say, oh, I don't know what I was thinking. I mean, how were you raised to think it's okay to just scream at a stranger that's waiting on you? Like makes no sense. Makes no sense. Makes no sense. You see, uh, you know Grayson Murray. Yes. Pro golfer. Oh, Grayson Murray. I'm thinking of Grayson Allen. Grayson Murray. Pro I don't golfer. know if he's any good, but okay. I just yeah, I know he the was name. involved in a name. bloody scooter accident in Bermuda oh, no. this week. It knocked him unconscious and Ugh. forced him to withdraw from a PGA Tour event. He was set up to play in the 2022 Butterfield Bermuda yes. Championship. This past weekend. He was yep. traveling back to his hotel via scooter at 4 p.m. when the incident occurred. Mm. He was turning around a bend in the road when he steered near the center line. Unfortunately for him, a car coming the opposite direction was also moving near the center, which resulted in him Jesus. colliding with the front corner of the vehicle. Scooters are dangerous. Knocked him off his ride, and he rolled several free feet. His, his, caddy, okay? his, yeah, his caddy was behind him, and he got knocked off. He was a lot better, but 50 stitches in his face. Mm. The pictures are out there, and they're pretty gruesome, so I've, you've been warned if you want to go look for him. I only have RIPs. I got a quick update on our two Ohio fishermen. The cheaters. We're back to I'm them sorry. again. Alleged cheaters. Alleged cheaters for putting weights in fishes. That's right. So that they won some competitions. They yes. pled not. I didn't realize how serious this is turning. No, you've talked about this. Yeah, it's crazy. Very but serious. So they pled not guilty to multiple charges on Wednesday. Okay. Jacob Runyon and Chase Kaminsky were indicted by a grand jury earlier this month on felony charges of cheating, attempted grand theft, and possessing criminal tools, as well as misdemeanor unlawful ownership of wild animals. But they both appeared in Cleveland in court on Wednesday, but neither spoke. So they're saying we hmm. didn't. we didn't do it. I have three RIPs, and they're probably the same three that you might have. Do you have any RIPs? I got a couple. Well, first, I just want to say that that scene in Korea. Oh, yeah. The Halloween. Halloween thing. I mean, 
gut-wrenching. 120 people reported. Oh, my God. You see people performing CPR on, like, 50 different bodies. It, it, I mean, RIP. It, it's like, I can't believe what I was looking at. It's ho- horrendous. All be- because they wanted to go out and have a fun night. And that's how it ends. So rest in peace to all the people oh in, in Korea who passed how away. How many? The, What's the total? I saw 120 at oh. the time of this recording, yeah. Oh. But then I have a couple more, so go ahead. Who do you have? Jerry Lee Lewis. Yes, 87 years, Great Balls of Fire. That song had like three spikes, right? When it came out, it don't was know. a monster hit in 57. I know the song, but I don't know the specifics like you do about the song. Well, then Top Gun. Okay. They, I didn't see Top Gun, so That's okay. right. Yeah. yeah. Why would you? Didn't hear anything no. good about it. No. Biggest movie of 86. No. Uh, Tom Cruise plays it. I was it busy. And, and sings it, so that I'm sure it spiked then. And then in the new one, Maverick... Goose's yeah. son plays it in I think Goose sang it in the first one actually. I don't know who Goose's Goose is. son plays it in the second. That song just I'm in a softball tournament over the weekend. Kids have that as their walk-up songs in softball. They're like 13. But is that Jerry Lewis's claim to fame? Jerry Lee Lewis. Let's Jerry Lee Lewis. Get it straight. Yes. Was that his claim to fame? Uh well, when he was 9, he taught himself to play the piano. His father mortgaged the family to buy Jerry his first no. piano when he was 10. No. Oh, when he was 14, he had his first public appearance at a no. local car dealership. No. You want to try something else? Uh, oh, his first hit was uh, Shake, Rattle, and Roll. A whole lot of shaking going on. That no. is that what you're going to say? No, no. Married his 13-year-old cousin. And he then he had a, his another hit. his 13-year-old cousin. It was a simpler time, Mitchell. A simpler time. He married his 13-year-old cousin and then was blacklisted from everything. He lost his entire career. Well, a reporter uncovered that in London. Did you read that part? No. <clears throat> he said she was 15, as if that makes it way better. I don't know why he picked 15. Just go with 18 if you're going to lie. But, okay, anyway, he said 15, and we'd been married, you know, for, I think, three months or so. I don't know. But he lied about the age and how long they'd been married, and a reporter in London uncovered it and said, nope, not only is she 13, but she's related to you. Well, not just a cousin. People will say, okay, what is she, like a fifth? Co- no, she's a first cousin. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. His cousin, his first cousin once removed. <sighs> yep. The woman that's his first cousin. Still alive. Her daughter. The, well, the, 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 the woman is still alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's the daughter of his first cousin. So she's his first cousin once, once removed. removed. Yeah, once yeah. removed. She married him at 13 years old. And I've seen, a, I saw a New York Times story last week after his death that she was the focal point of it. She talked a lot about it. And you get the, it's, it's a fascinating story. It's a fascinating interview with her because you don't get the feeling that she is at all. She hadn't talked to him in many years. They were completely estranged, but you don't get the feeling at all that she holds any ill will Hmm. or would do anything different. Maybe she would, but you don't get the feeling like this is like a bitter, angry woman Hmm. about him kind of ruining her life. Yeah, he was abusive, I think, as well. From what I read, allegedly abusive to her. 13, Piper's 13. She's about... Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, I'm going to go hand her to some 22-year-old. Were there parents in her life or no? What happened to them? She's 76 years old now. I think 77. Um, She's married. She's been married for a long time. And I'm telling you, go read the New York Times. I think it's the New York Times. Okay. The New York Times story on her and her reaction to his death. She's mourning his death and... Wish that they had reconnected somewhere along the line. I guess she tried to reconnect with him in the hmm. last few years, and it didn't work out. Go back and read that. It's interesting. Yeah, he, he seemed troubled. He was married seven times. Seven? Including bigamous marriages. Oh, really? And he had six children during My his goodness. marriages. So My this goodness. has been a stirring tribute. Okay, so you... <laughs> to the late so you got Jerry, Jerry Lee Lewis. Lewis. 
Uh, yeah, this this one you you may not know, but global business figure Dietrich Mataschitz. <laughs> I don't know if I'm saying that right. He died at 78. Now Dietrich was the founder of something called Red Bull. Oh, yeah, he had a couple bucks. Never had it. Yeah, it's all right. Never tried it. He had a couple bucks. This one, so he he, he really just loved Formula One racing. So he just took all his Red Bull money and he made this Red Bull Formula One team. And mm-hmm. anyway, he passed away at 78. It's yeah. kind of the guy who invented Red Bull. I thought that okay. was kind of interesting. Okay. But that, those are my two. Really? I, I expected a couple others from all you. All right. Well, that was a softball weekend. Uh, <laughs> you want to do sports or not sports? We could do uh, sports first. Vince Dooley. Vince Dooley. Georgia, longtime Georgia head football coach. Oh. Coach Herschel Walker. Oh, okay. National champions. That's right. Yeah. Sugar Bowl. National champion head coach Vince Dooley. Okay. Also was 25 years the athletic director at Georgia, okay. a, an icon, yeah. probably the biggest single figure in the history of Georgia athletics. Okay. University of Georgia athletics died at the age of 90. Vince Dooley, Herschel Walker. Probably had some And then stories. I thought you would come up with this one because this is right up your alley. You must not have seen that he died. You may not know him by name. I think you probably will. Leslie Jordan. Does that name mean anything to you? No. Leslie Jordan, 67 years old, a diminutive character oh. actor. I was going to bring this up. I was like, Mitch didn't watch that. She's not going to know who this is. I know who it is. I've seen him a million times. I'm not sure what I've seen him in. Will and Grace. He was amazing. I've never watched Will and Grace. Yeah, he was, what's her name's ex-husband, I think. Or, but he's been in a million things. As soon as I saw his picture, I was like, oh my God, I've seen him in a million yeah, things. Awesome character. 67 actor. years old, apparently had a, a medical issue while driving a car and yeah. ended up driving the car into the side of a building. He passes away at the age of 67. And trust me, you don't know him by name, but just look up the name Leslie Jordan. Yeah. And as soon as he appears on your TV screen or on your on your computer screen, you're like, oh, of course. Yeah. You've seen him a billion times. No doubt. No, he's, he was great on Will and Grace. That's yeah. the one thing I remember him on. So funny. He's just real snarky and had kind of a southern accent. He was great on that show. Which brings us to headlines. A North Carolina highway was partially closed uh, Tuesday morning when a truck crashed and spilled 22,000 pounds of fish on the roadway. Uh-oh. The good news is that highway has never had lower triglycerides. Wildlife officials... Beta carotene, baby. <laughs> wildlife officials in Idaho said they're investigating the origins of a non-native animal found wandering loose. Uh-oh. A liberal... Scott. A, a woman's lost wedding ring. A woman's lost <laughs> wedding ring was finally unearthed in a brush pile after Hurricane Ian came barreling through. Uh-oh. The woman was quoted as saying, "Oh, that's great! You found my ring. Anyone gonna check on our leveled house?" Researchers at the <laughs> University of California Berkeley unveiled a robot they said can fold clothes faster than any previous automation. Really now? Fold clothes. Fold clothes. Please let them incorporate that tech with the real doll. I mean, that's pretty cool if they could do that. Uh, And she folds clothes. Woo! They're going to have to add that on somehow. Anyway, this has been Mitch Unfiltered, episode 212. We started with a wiener. (laughs) From dirty to dirty. All the way around. And we ended with a doll. A sex doll that could potentially fold clothes quickly if they play their cards right. Yep. That's what you get. Allow me to apologize for the last... (laughs) Two hours and 47 minutes. Well, you can take out the... I'm sure the interviews are great. You, can, you, can, you don't have to apologize for those. For the rest of it, you can. Episode 212. Thank God the Seahawks are winning. Take our minds <laughs> off of uh, Hot Shots. Give me the wallet back if you find it. Yes, please do. Yeah. Episode 212 is in the first.